Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. You think your world is safe. It is an illusion. A comforting lie told to protect you. Enjoy these final moments of peace. For I have returned to have my vengeance. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio episode 180 for Thursday, April 18th, 2013. I'm your host, Rich. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, so couple of things. I remember to actually say my name <laughs> at the start of the show this week. It's been taken. It's taken me a lot of practice to get used to doing that based on what a couple of people have been saying. Anyway, if you're listening to this show on blog talk radio, uh, just a word of warning. I noticed on their site that they are experiencing some outages. So with that said, if you are listening to the show via blog talk radio and you want to make sure that you don't get cut off for whatever reason, make sure to have in your favorite Mixler, M-I-X-L-R dot com forward slash my take radio. And you can listen to the show live via that service as well. You're going to get high quality uh, 128K audio on the Mixler side. So you're going to get a nice feed there in case of anything. As for us on the blog talk radio side, I'm actually trying something new that they introduced. Um, it's a direct connect feature where I don't have to call in with Skype. To do the show, so we're gonna test it out this week and see how it goes. Uh, it, based on the email that they sent me, this new Direct Connect feature is supposedly gonna yield better audio quality on the Blog Talk Radio side. We'll see how that pans out because everybody who listens to the Blog Talk Radio episodes, usually on the archive side of things, tell me that BTR's audio is usually complete dog shit. So hopefully, going with this Direct Connect system will lead to better results this week. 
Like I said, on the Mixler side, you're going to be able to get high quality there as well. I have been doing some research on another service called Spreaker, which um, a couple of fellow broadcasters use, and they recommend if I want to do a call-in show. The only reason I don't do it is because doing it through Block Talk Radio, it allows us to screen the calls and do all that stuff with Slick um, working the back end, who, of course, is in the chat and is in studio. What's up, Slick? Um, Of course, the crazy thing is that switching to a new service is just going to involve so much... um, of a, of a bigger transition, in, including scheduling, changing the way the banner for the site looks, all that stuff. So it, it's a work in progress. Um, I was going to actually do video this week. Don't don't get mad at me. I'm not doing video this week because I'm dealing with terrible, terrible sinus allergies, and I am rocking the Breathe Right Nasal Strip. So that is that is the unofficial sponsor of today's show, the Breathe Right Nasal Strip, which is allowing me to actually breathe and deliver coherent audio to you this week. As usual, when the flowers start blooming, uh, the sinuses start dooming, pretty much. As soon as I woke up, it was pretty much no breathing whatsoever. Um, I was a mouth breather for the better part of uh, uh, the day earlier today. And, of course, bagged some Breathe Right nasal strips to do the show. Um, And, you know, Slick is telling me I should be using Vicks or Allegra. I try not to use a lot of medicines, obviously. I'm not a... A big medicine fan, that's partially because of my straight-edge beliefs, but also because a lot of times none of that shit works. Um, and most allergy medicine is induces drowsiness, which, you know, if you drink a 18-ounce can of Monster Energy and you happen to down some allergy medication, who knows, you may actually get to hear a live stroke on air, similar to Jerry Lawler. So you know what, we're not going to do that. Um, like I said, the Breathe Right nasal strip will do the job this week. Um, but personal things aside... We are at our 180th, uh, excuse me, brain fart, 180th show, 20 episodes away from big MTR 200. I want to try and do something big for that show. Hopefully by then we'll have all the video and stuff rocking and we'll be able to do some stuff with that. Uh, Maybe we'll start broadcasting the shows live via YouTube as well. I just found out that I actually have that capability through the MTR YouTube account. I got to see how I work that angle. If that works according to plan, then I can use that and broadcast live through the channel. So little things that we're working on. Um, I got to give a shout out to Mike Phillips from the IAIB, fellow IAIB member Mike Phillips, and also to Andrew Zarian, who once again this week came to the rescue with some audio issues I had. I've been experiencing a very weird bug with a lot of audio coming from the left side as opposed to the right, which probably would have tripped a lot of you out having one louder, one speaker louder than the other. Um... Anyway, nonetheless, got to give a shout out to those guys and the rest of the crew at the IAIB for always being there to assist with all these crazy problems I'm doing, I'm dealing with. And the problem is that if I go and I try to, you know, tweak this stuff a day or two in advance of the show, it never goes right. So it's something I got to do over the course of a few days. So I'm glad I got everything worked out. Audio's kicking on all cylinders. I got some people on the Mixler chat telling me the audio is crispy. So we are good to go. Now, a couple of housekeeping things I got to get out of the way. Our Facebook fan page is always rocking. Lots of great comments and stuff on there. I did want to try and start doing a couple of more things with the Facebook fans only because they're very active. They're very vocal. So I think I got a couple of things here I wanted to give away. Maybe a red versus blue DVD I'll give away tonight after the show's over. And 
We'll also give away that Digimon Season 2 box set because I finally finished reviewing that. And we'll do a couple of giveaways over the weekend. Also working on two reviews. One for Injustice Gods Among Us, which is actually pretty badass. Um, I actually threw some video footage from the demo on our YouTube channel, which is My Take Radio TV. Look for it on YouTube. And we captured some video this week for our review as well, which should be up this weekend. That's going to be going up along with my review of the Django Unchained DVD and Blu-ray set that I picked up as well. So those are some of the things you'll be looking out for. I know Slick has a couple of things on the plate for you guys, and I got a ton of movie trailers that I owe you first impressions on, just extremely backlogged with work, um, partially real-world work and also MTR work, which leads me to what I'm saying. We, we're always looking for more writers, more writers. There's tons of stuff that you guys can get that we get access to, comics, games where applicable, movies, etc. So if you're interested in writing for us, drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com, and of course, we'll definitely take you into consideration. If you're interested in providing content on a guest capacity, we have a guest post form on mytakeradio.com as well. Last night I was going to do some streaming on Twitch TV because we do have a My Take Radio TV account on Twitch. Uh, just the schedule kind of got a little out of whack and I wasn't able to do it. So hopefully we'll do some streams next week. Once I get a brand new video card, it would make everything run a bit smoother. Got to also acknowledge that Slick will be doing a review of Dead Island Riptide, which comes out next week. If you are a fan of the game, make sure to look for Slick on our Facebook fan page. Hit him up. He'll probably share his gamer tag with you, and you guys can get in some Dead Island games with Slick. Maybe we'll find a way to capture those as well. All right. Last but not least, got to give a shout-out to all of you that are listening to the show on Stitcher. Thank you guys very much. I see all you guys using the Stitcher app, and I see it in your Facebook timelines that you're using Stitcher to listen to the show. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you also for the people that are checking in on Get Glue. Appreciate that. Check-ins are always always nice to see. And lastly, our episodes of MTR Beyond the Mic and MTR Behind the Mic are available to the public now, so if you haven't picked them up, make sure to do so. Update your MTR apps as well. If you didn't, because you should have those episodes there also. All right, so before we get into this week's news, and there's a lot of it, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, some real-world events, of course, that being the Boston situation, you know, my uh, my my heart goes out to those in Boston that were affected, you know, being, being a New York City resident and dealing with the 9-11 situation, I know what it's like, it's crazy, you know, there's a lot of panic, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot more caution than usual. There's a lot more cops, et cetera, et cetera. And I know a couple of people rep in Boston that live out there that, you know, they were like, you know, they, they said it, it's a crazy scene out there and it's, it's a tragedy. It's completely unfortunate, but I wanted to talk a, about a couple of things with regards to that. Um, number one is as usual slacktivism. For those of you that don't know what slacktivism is, that is people that go on Facebook and assume that hitting like and, you know, pray on this picture and blah, 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 that's going to solve something, that's going to accomplish something. I'm 100% brutally honest when I tell you guys that slacktivists are full of shit. These are, these are people, and, 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 it, and it's funny because I know a lot of them, and I'm, and I'm friends with a lot of people that do this. Um, great example, Coney. Let's talk about Coney. 
you know, the, when the Coney thing went down, you see everybody, oh my God, we got to do all this stuff and we got to, we got to get this guy caught and we got to save these kids. And these are the same individuals that when I asked them, have you ever donated money to the Red Cross or a can of food to the Red Cross to feed starving people in another country? Have you ever done that? And they were like, uh, nah. So let me get this straight. Because you shared a picture of Coney and an African kid with flies in his eyes. It's supposed to make everything better. It's supposed to, it's supposed to, it's supposed to heal all these atrocities that are happening. No, right? That that's the kind of thing that that irks me. And whenever a tragedy happens, these people come out of the woodwork. And again, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of being friends with a lot of these people, and and they don't know any better. You know, they think that that the magical powers of Mark Zuckerberg, because you know Mark Zuckerberg is fucking Merlin, and the, and every like leads to you know an angel getting its wings or some other bullshit is going to cure the world's ills. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to do something for the people of Boston, it pains me to say it. Prayer won't do a fucking thing. Sharing a picture won't do a fucking thing unless it's a picture of the suspects, which has been circulating already. None of that is going to do anything. You want to do something? Go to your local Red Cross. Go to your local blood center. Donate blood because they're going to probably need it in a couple of weeks. Go donate some time. Send some canned goods. You know, offer up a place to stay for people that are that are displaced if you're in Boston. You want to do something, do something like that. Don't don't tell me that I'm supposed to care because you want me to go and and share a picture or like a picture. Like this picture to find a puppy a home. How about you call a shelter and you t- and you foster a dog? I'm telling you it's it's a it's a load of shit the the slacktivism that goes on and I feel bad because like I said I know these people and I just shake my head and usually I just hide their timeline because it's it's ridiculous to me. You know, I'm not a deeply religious person. Furthest thing from it. I think I haven't last time I went to church out of my own volition was you know last year for for some stuff that was going on and prior to that rarely ever I don't even, we didn't even have a church service when my mother died because she didn't even believe in that shit. The fact is, you want to do something, go to your local Red Cross, go to your local blood center, do, do canned goods. If you're in Boston, you know, help somebody out, offer them a place to stay, take some sandwiches over there, do, do something of note, not sharing a photo or any of this other lame shit. Don't do it. And prayer, prayer is the furthest thing. That's going to do anything. Prayer isn't going to get these people new fucking legs or arms. Last time I checked, I didn't know that everybody had Jesus on speed dial or God for that matter to say, hey, guess what? Can you send that guy a new arm and a new leg? Because I think he really, really needs it. I don't think so. And this isn't a religious rant or a politically motivated rant or whatever. So for those of you that think I'm, I'm a little off key here, by all means, tune tune back in in a few minutes. But this is the kind of stuff I see. The same thing that I also saw pop up, all of a sudden ribbons and slogans and all this stuff. The FBI hasn't caught the guys responsible, but the marketing departments are ready at the drop of a hat to jump on a cause. Are we going to make a ribbon that looks like a piece of shit for the fertilizer explosion? Because, you know, that kind of is important. That shit is important, too. But, you know, everybody champions what they deem necessary. That's why I support what I'm going to support. 
out of my own volition and I don't need to, you know, go about some, you know, I don't need to advocate what I do. I'm just saying, don't, don't share photos and think that you're doing good. You want to do something right? Like I said, donate some free time, go donate some blood, do something. Like I said, it was, it was just something that's been bugging me over the last few days. Same thing. Like I said, with the, you know, with all these marketing campaigns popping up out of, popping up out of nowhere. It's, it's, it's not the right way to do things. That's all I'm saying. Not a political rant, not a religious rant, just, just my own take on the matter. Anyway, with that said, let's get into what you guys are really here for. And that's this week's MMA news. So let's get the ball rolling. Shall we? So this past weekend, of course, we had a uh, a really stellar, stellar UFC card. It was the Ultimate Fighter 17 finale this past Saturday. Of course, we got to get your Ultimate Fighter champions, but we also got to see a fight between two very talented young ladies for a coaching slot on the next season of the Ultimate Fighter, as well as a title fight against Ronda Rousey. I want to get into some of the fights. I'm not going to go through all of them. I just want to acknowledge a few fights that were tremendously good. Um, I was really bummed, not so much with the way the fight went, but that I, you know, I'm glad that he won. It's the Sam Cecilia Maximo Blanco fight. Ben and I were talking about this last week, and I'll be honest when I say that I was, I was worried that Maximo Blanco was fighting for his job in this fight. He looked really good, um, in the first round, uh, Sam Cecilia looked really, really good in the second round, um, to the point where, um, you know, Sam Cecilia was definitely looking to to catch Maximo Blanco with that big right, uh, working the jab for sure. Um, just a, a very, very competitive round. But Maximo Blanco definitely turned it up in the third round, securing a victory via unanimous decision. I definitely liked the outcome of that. Like I said, I was pulling for Maximo Blanco, and I was hoping he would take that fight. The Cole miller uh, Bar Shevsky fight was also very good. Cole Miller taking that fight via submission, rear naked choke in the first round. Uh, tremendous fight, definitely very great to see. The Clint Hester-Bristol Marunda fight was ridiculous. Beautiful uh, TKO via elbow. It was it was ridiculous. Uh, Hester at, at, in the third round landed his huge elbow, crumpled Bristol Marunda like a, like a sack of potatoes. I was just dumbfounded because it was such a nasty elbow. It was an elbow, um, to quote Joe Rogan, it was an elbow with bad intentions. That's exactly what it was. And it, it was just a, a beautiful, beautiful technique to see, you know, on a lot, on a, um, preliminary card, Josh Salmon took on Kevin Casey right before the main card on FX. Uh, Josh Salmon took the fight, uh, via TKO real, really nice knee to the head that crumpled Casey and he followed that up with punches. Very academic at that point. When Herb Dean pulled him off, Josh Salmon takes the fight. TKO. Now, on the FX card, um, first fight, uh, shout out to Gilbert Smith, um, previous guest on the show, and um, Ultimate Fighter competitor. He fought on the main card against Bubba McDaniel. Um, very, very solid fight. Gilbert Smith looked really good in the first round. McDaniel kind of turned it up in the second, and he secured the submission in the third round via armbar. It's crazy though, because 
the way that he transitioned into the armbar, um, it was so quick that it, you know I really noticed that there was no there was no out for Gilbert, which is unfortunate. He he was really trying to get out of it, but Bubba McDaniel was determined to get the hooks in, and um, you know when Gilbert rolled and ended up in guard, that's when Bubba just went and he applied a very very slick triangle. And Gilbert tried to stand up and get out of it, but at that point, Bubba McDaniel transitioned into an armbar, and Gilbert Smith tapped out. But again, it was a, a a great fight, you know. No, definitely Gilbert Smith went in there, showed showed he can hang. He just got caught out there. It happens, you know. Anybody, you know, I was definitely annoyed by the the continued questioning of Gilbert's cardio. I think for all three rounds, Gilbert Smith exhibited solid cardio, and I'm not even saying that because he was a guest on the show. It's just something that they kind of kept harping upon, and honestly, I really didn't see him gassing out. He looked he looked pretty clean. He looked really crisp. Um, just got caught out there. Now, one of two fights that ended in controversy was the Travis Brown-Gabriel Gonzaga fight, which um, ended with some vicious elbows. Travis Brown uh, via KO. Uh, Gonzaga went for a single leg, and um, at that point, he drives a huge, huge elbow into Gabriel Gonzaga's head, knocks him out cold. There were a couple of elbows that went to the back of the head, which a lot of people were questioning. At least, I'd like to say maybe two or three elbows may have inadvertently hit him in the back of the head. I mean, I know he was definitely out, but those extra elbows... Definitely questionable, especially in the replay. It depends on how you look at it, but a lot of people are saying that there were there was at least one or two illegal elbows there. Meanwhile, the other fight mired in controversy was the women's bantamweight fight between Misha Tate and Kat Zingano. Misha Tate definitely the aggressor in the first round coming in. Uh, she went right into the middle of the cage trying to secure the takedown. Uh, Kat Zingano, though, 7-0 and with good reason. She weathered the storm, and Tate looked really, really good in that first round. Kazingano turned it on in the second round, though, definitely starting to find a rhythm with a lot of the strikes. Um, there was definitely more shots ended, especially when Tate shot in for the takedown to close out the second. Zingano sprawled, and she got a couple more shots in, so she was definitely, in my eyes, the winner on that second round. Third round, same pace, very quick, very aggressive. Uh, Misha Tate... Um, not to say that she was losing her edge, but I think Zingano, like I said, figured out her range, started really getting it in. And, um, it's funny because there's a point in that round where Tate went and tried to shoot in for a takedown and she ate a huge knee. I believe that knee ended up breaking her nose based on how her nose looked in the post fight photos. At that point, when Tate dropped down, she ate a couple more punches. She went to look for another takedown but Katzingano defended, and um, when Misha Tate stood up, some more knees got landed, and Kim Winslow pulled them off. Katzingano takes the fight via TKO, and she goes on now to face Ronda Rousey and coach the next season of The Ultimate Fighter. couple of things here. First, first thing was, and I didn't even notice this, I had to rewind to watch it. At the end of, I believe, the second round, or the first round going into the second when when the round ended, Misha Tate got up because she was in top position and actually used Katzingano's face to get up off the mat. 
She actually used her hand, rested it on Kat Zingano's face to get up off the mat. You can actually find the gif of that, I believe, on MiddleEasy.com. Shout out to those guys who brought that to my attention. And that definitely got Kat Zingano fired up because, you know, definitely some disrespectful shit. And that ended up, like I said, third round, just devastating knee strikes to Misha Tate to close it out and give the victory to Kat Zingano. Now, there's questions about the the first knee that landed because there's there's a lot of photos saying that Misha Tate was down. She had an arm down on the mat. And, you know, one of the rules of MMA is you can't knee a downed opponent. So, with that said, it's, it's, it's very... It depends on how you look at it. Some photos, you can see that the knee was thrown in transition before her hand fully touched the mat. Other people are saying that her hand, she was in three-point stance, and that's how she caught the knee. It's one of those things, you can look at it a couple different angles, you're going to see it a few different ways, and the stoppage was questionable, depending on who you ask. Obviously, Misha Tate feels that the stoppage was questionable. I think that the knee that landed initially was the one that kind of got people talking, but those knees on the stand-up did the damage for sure, and at that point, I think Kadzingano had it in the bag, and that was it. So, honestly, in a, in a, in a card mired in controversy with two fights, I, I feel that that particular fight, the outcome is in the eye of, of the person who's watching. And some people view the fight differently than others. Me, personally, I felt that she got need in the transition coming up off the ground. Other people feel, like I said, she had the three-point stance. I think the victory stands... For Kadzingano, I think Kadzingano didn't do anything malicious or illegal, and she just she just fought her ass off. Seven and zero, now eight and zero. You know she's she's a mom with a kid. Great inspirational story. I think that you know it was crazy that UFC that Fox cut out the walkout for her when she came out because it was tremendous, super emotional. If you get a chance, definitely check that out. But I was very happy for Kadzingano, not because I dislike Misha Tate, but. I can tell you that in Misha Tate's case, she would have probably yielded a better season with Ronda Rousey because they got pre-existing beef. But at the end of the day, it's it's academic in regards to Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate. I think Misha Tate would have probably been competitive in that fight, but Rousey definitely probably would have secured the victory. With Katzengano, it's a big question mark because Katzengano is a good, a solid striker, and she can handle herself very well. She's also a perfect record like uh, Ronda Rousey. So it's going to be very interesting to see. I'm looking forward to the season of The Ultimate Fighter. It's going to be male and female fighters living together in the house, being coached by two women. There's there's an incredible amount of fireworks across the board. Obviously, people are expecting the whole real world, you know, guys sleeping with chicks. I don't think people are going to really get that because you're there to win a six-figure contract and the necessity to want to get laid is going to jeopardize that. So I don't think too many people are going to be dropping their drawers and getting laid, but you never know. You know a, little, a little shenanigans may happen when the cameras aren't rolling, but who knows? Anyway, the fight to determine the Season 17 champion, I really expected it to be academic with Uriah Hall taking the victory over Kelvin Gastelum, but 21-year-old Kelvin Gastelum was not having it. Guy was super aggressive for all three rounds. He kind of figured out the Uriah Hall riddle. He weathered the storm in all three rounds. Uriah Hall definitely crisp striking. 
Uh, no, he's no slouch. The guy, the guy's definitely going to be a tremendous asset to the middleweight division. His contract is all but guaranteed. But Kelvin Gastelum definitely showed that he was a hungrier fighter. Not to say that Uriah Hall wasn't, but I think Gastelum really wanted it more. Not to say that I think in in Uriah Hall's case, he kind of felt that he would be able to kind of walk through Kelvin Gastelum just because he's a he was kind of the dark horse the entire card and. All his victories were hard fought, so he probably figured, oh, this guy's going to come in, we're going to trade a little bit, and I'm going to use my striking and catch him. But that wasn't the case. Gastelum took some heavy shots, and he weathered the storm quite well. Ended up taking the fight and the contract via split decision, so props to him. Uriah Favor and Scott Jorgensen closed things out. Awesome fight. Tremendous fight. Both guys are friends. They ended up going the distance four rounds. And Uriah Faber secured the victory via rear naked choke in the fourth. Faber, again, continues to make a case for himself in the bantamweight division. Solid competitor. Always a pleasure to watch. One of the guys that, you know, you can build a brand around. He's always very personable. Is a great ambassador for the sport. And considering that those two guys were friends, they really did put on one hell of a fight. So that closes out season 17 of The Ultimate Fighter. Season 18 will start filming very soon. Like I said, Kat Zingano, Ronda Rousey are your coaches. And, of course, that fight will lead to a title fight at the end of the season. Now, with regards to salaries, a lot of fighters made a shitload of money. Uriah Faber made $110,000. That included a $55,000 win bonus uh, to Scott Jorgensen's $23,500. Kevin Gastelum made $16,000. That included an $8,000 win bonus. Uriah Hall also made $8,000. Kadzingano walked away with $14,000. That included a $7,000 win bonus. Tamisha Tate's $28,000. So there was definitely a lot of solid paydays, but you got to take into consideration that from those paydays, you got to pay trainers, and that's not including money paid by sponsors. I will say this, though. They did end up getting some great fight bonuses out there. Um, I believe, if I'm correct... Zingano and Tate took fight of the night honors and uh, actually I had I thought I had that here actually don't quote me on that because I don't have the fight bonuses here so I'm sure you can find those online if you look them up anyway as I was saying before you know Travis Brown's elbows were definitely questionable Gabriel Gonzaga's manager was looking to appeal the fight to the Nevada State Athletic Commission but as of today, according to MMA Junkie, there has been no appeal with regards to the loss. So who knows where that stands, but there has been nothing done yet to appeal that fight. So moving on, we got, of course, UFC on Fox this weekend, which is going to be a tremendous card. We got, of course, Bendo taking on Nate Diaz. We got Daniel Cormier and Frank Mir, Nate Diaz, Josh Thompson, and Matt Brown and Jordan Mean on the main card. On the prelims, you got Darren Elkins, Chad Mendes, Francis Carmont taking on Lorenz Larkin, Miles Jury taking on Ramsey Najem, Joe Benavidez taking on Darren. I'm going to mess up this guy's name. Uya Noyama. I think that's right. Jorge Masvidal is taking on Tim Means, and TJ Dillashaw is taking on Hugo Viana. On the prelims, you'll get Roger Bowling and Anthony Njoquani, and Clifford Starks and Yoel Romero. Now, those first two prelim fights will be on Facebook. The other fights will probably be on FX. And the main card will be on Fox. So, of course, make sure to check that out. 
We'll probably be posting our fight picks for that card at some point tonight or maybe in the middle of the day tomorrow. And right after that, of course, the following weekend, we got the big one in Jersey. John Jones taking on Chael Sonnen for the light heavyweight title. Alan Belcher, Michael Bisping, Czech Congo, Roy Nelson, Phil Davis, and Vinny Magalesh, and Pat Healy versus Jim Miller. That's on the pay-per-view card. Prelims, of course, will be on FX. Another UFC card that's coming together quite nicely is UFC 162. That's going down July 6th. Of course, Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman for your middleweight title. Korean Zombie will be taking on Ricardo Lamas. And Tim Bocek will be taking on Mark Munoz. So that's going to be a very, very solid card July 6th, right after that July 4th weekend at the MGM Grand in Vegas. One big announcement that did come out of this past weekend's Ultimate Fighter card was that the Ultimate Fighter series will be moving to Fox Sports 1. Starting this September, it's going to be a brand new channel launching. Hopefully, I'll get an email from my cable provider, which is Fios, letting me know about Fox Sports 1. All signs point to me getting it, but I'll be really pissed if I don't. Anyway, Fox Sports 1 is going to be the home of UFC programming, and it's going to launch August 17th. Season 18 of The Ultimate Fighter will premiere Wednesday, September 4th. So there you have it. I got to say, wow, starting to lose my voice. Excuse me one second while I grab some water. Clearly, these sinuses are causing me to lose my voice also, so... We're going to see how well we power through the show this evening. Anyway, a lot of fighters, especially boxers, are looking to make the jump to MMA. Of course, we've seen some guys make the transition with uh, some success, some guys not so much. But in in another historic turn of events, Holly Holm, who is a um, boxing competitor, is retiring from boxing after her May 11th bout. And she will be making the transition to MMA. Holly Holm won the WBF, IBA female, and WBAN welterweight titles. So she is actually going to be one of the first female boxers to transition to women's MMA. I'm really interested in this because, you know, we're going to see a a woman coming with tremendous striking, making the transition to MMA. She's a 32-2-3 and and boxing record. And, you know, she's going to, once she retires from boxing, it's going to be, it's going to be game on for a new career in MMA, and I'm really looking forward to it. We'll see if she can make the jump and make it to the UFC because, again, I'm very interested in seeing how um, someone coming out of women's boxing fares in an MMA atmosphere. Obviously, some guys that have made the transition, they haven't fared well. Obviously, um, one of the things with that is that a lot of guys don't adjust to to the cage atmosphere, especially now that... Most of the fights here in the States are done in the cage and not in the ring like in the Pride days. So I think that's partially it. Another thing is that there's a change in with regards to conditioning. Boxers are conditioned to fight 12 rounds, 15 rounds. It, it varies. MMA, you got three and five rounds. And I think in, in that case, guys want to go out there and they want to try and knock the person out. But there's more to it than that. You got you know, boxing, you got jujitsu, you got wrestling. These are all things that they're going to need to use to round out their game. We've seen a lot of guys, mixed martial artists who've been proficient in boxing and then have to go and tighten up their game. There's no better example of that than Andre Arlovsky, a guy who has tremendous boxing, contemplated making the transition of boxing and 
realize that there's more to MMA than just the striking game. And he's even said that he wants to focus on tightening up all aspects of his game. Hopefully Holly Holm follows suit and has a successful career in mixed martial arts. The UFC women's division continues to grow as Strikeforce veterans Julie Kedzie and Jermaine Durandamy will be debuting in UFC on Fox 8 in Seattle. This will be the, their first time in the octagon for both ladies. Julie Kedzie fought in Strikeforce in the, in the Rousey versus Kaufman card in August. She lost to Misha Tate on the prelims in the third round of that fight. Uh, Jermaine Durandamy fought on that card and she beat Hiroko Yamanaka via decision. Now, of course, if you guys have been watching TNA Impact and waiting for King Mode to debut, guess what? Not happening anytime soon. It seems that after King Mo's lost in Bellator, King Mo will be returning to fight for the organization this summer. And as of right now, his involvement with TNA is on hold, which is a no-brainer considering how he lost. And I'm sure TNA wanted to milk his, his record in MMA and his prowess in mixed martial arts as a way to get over his gimmick and basically getting knocked out by an elbow is not what you want to do. So maybe he'll get a couple of fights under his belt and then he'll look attractive to TNA once again. Personally, I think King Mo is a tremendous asset to Bellator and I'd rather he stick to Bellator for the time being and consider wrestling as a, I want to say a, a, a secondary alternative, not so much splitting time between both. In some other Bellator news, Bellator put out a press release that they signed 42-year-old Vladimir Matyshenko, of course, from the UFC. Um, he is scheduled to compete in a non-tournament bout, which should be announced within the coming weeks. Uh, Vladimir, of course, was a staple in the UFC, recently released and now coming into Bellator. We'll see how he fares there. Now, last but not least, of course, it's fight week, and you can expect Dana White to always have something to talk about. And one of the questions they asked him about was about, of course, GSP and the super fight between GSP and Anderson Silva. So, as we all know, GSP is currently working on Captain America and the Winter Soldier. He will be fighting this fall. As of right now, his next fight is going to be, of course, at welterweight against Johnny Hendricks. But Dana White did say that if GSP wants to fight Anderson Silva, well, you know, it is what it is. He pretty much said, if George says to me, I want to fight Anderson Silva, you think I'm going to go, no, you're fighting Johnny Hendricks? We'll talk about that later. Of course, all money is on a GSP Anderson Silva super fight, especially if MMA gets sanctioned here in New York City. That's the fight that everyone wants to see, and that would be a great fight to debut in Madison Square Garden or even in Anderson Silva, um, John Jones super fight. Either one of those fights in the garden would be tremendous. Anyway, that's going to wrap up the MMA news for this week. We're going to head into some wrestling. And, of course, it's that time. Booker, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! Huh. I'm seeing in the um in the chat room, Slick is saying that the audio is chopping up a little bit. And um, I'm seeing that people are complaining on the chat room about Blog Talk Radio. Just a... Quick word of advice, if you're having issues on the BTR side, switch to the Mixler site and you can hear the show there in 128K stereo. Mixler, M-I-X-L-R dot com forward slash My Take Radio. Make sure to check it out there if you're not able to get a clear Blog Talk Radio feed. 
Thank you, Slick, for bringing that to my attention. We're going to continue doing the um, doing the show, but um, just a word of advice for those listening on the Blog Talk Radio side. Um, <clears throat> this voice is just not working with me. Anyway, first thing we're going to talk about is Monday Night Raw, which this week was definitely not one of Raw's better moments. We had a handicap match with Randy Orton and Sheamus against the Big Show. It's academic when you got a Randy Orton and a Sheamus taking on the Big Show, how it's going to end. Of course, Randy Orton and Sheamus got the victory. Um, You know, it is what it is. (sighs) Honestly, when I saw the start of this match, I said to myself, we're really going to go this route, aren't we? And I knew right off of that first match that it was just going to be a long three hours. The 3MB got decimated by Brock Lesnar, especially because Brock Lesnar wants his, his shot at a third match with Triple H, which I'm sure thousands upon thousands of people are chomping at the bit to pay 60 bucks for pay-per-view to watch that match for a third time. But who am I to complain? Antonio Cesaro put on a, a nice competitive contest against Kofi Kingston in a losing turn of events. Cesaro lost the U.S. title to Kofi Kingston, who said... I'm bringing the U.S. championship back home. Now, I don't know. Does back home mean Ghana, West Africa, Jamaica, or the United States? Because you're billed as being from Ghana, West Africa. So, yeah. But whatever. It was a good match. I'm not going to shit on it too much. Kofi looked really good in that match. And Cesaro. Cesaro can have a match with a wet bag of hair, and it'll still look good. So, what can you say? Team Hell No took on the primetime players in a match that was as academic as you would expect with Team Hell No getting the victory. And um, we get uh, probably one of the worst Ryback promos ever. Pretty much the whole why Ryback why scenario with his whole shit with John Cena. It was, let's put it like this. You take a guy who you book as this unstoppable monster, this wrecking machine, this, 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 this wrath of destruction that's rained upon the WWE roster. Then, then he comes out and cuts the whiniest fucking promo I've ever heard. It was terrible. He's complaining that John Cena didn't come out and help him when the shield attacked him. He's complaining that John Cena was a shitty best friend. It was, it was terrible. It was terrible. The fact that he went out there and pretty much spent six minutes doing this, and I want you guys to hear it, because it's just six minutes of bitching. April 7th, 2013. WrestleMania. It was the greatest night of your career, John, and it was the worst night of mine. You beat The Rock. You found your redemption and won the WWE title. Good for you. You were on top of the world, and I was on the bottom. Only one place to go for both of us, John. Me up, you down. Let me remind you. There must be so many questions swimming through your head. Why? 
Why, Ryback? What did I do? Or maybe you know, John. Maybe you saw it in my eyes before I took your head off last week. But really, what choice did I have? After everything I've been through, to find myself the day after WrestleMania staring up from the bottom of the ladder again, that was not gonna happen. But I'm getting ahead of myself, John. You're probably thinking, I helped that guy out. I took him under my wing, and this is how he repays me? You did reach out to me when I came into the WWE. You told the WWE Universe that this Ryback is my friend, and he's an okay guy. I remember he even gave me your title shot when you were injured. Yeah, that's what that was. That was six minutes of whining and bitching. And my my complaint with that isn't so much that that's where they wanted to go with it, but think about this. Everybody competes for the WWE title, for the championship, for the big belt. That's what people sign up for. They sign up to be at the top of the food chain. Why couldn't Ryback's turn just be that? Just be the fact that he wanted to be top dog and wanted to stop being everyone's friend. No. John Cena didn't give me his his peanut butter sandwich. John Cena didn't share his apple with me. Let's think about this, and I got to acknowledge the uh, team buried Captain Quark and John Blade for this. Ryback started competing against two wrestlers at a time, two. He went as far as one at one point saying he wants people to feed him three, competed against three wrestlers. So you get beat up by the Shield, which are three guys, and yeah, they're not three jobbers, but same thing. You couldn't fight them off? No, you know, that, that that's where the continuity with regards to his character just takes a big steaming shit. Because if you're taking this guy and building and building him up as this huge wrecking ball, and then his rationale for turning on John Cena, that John Cena didn't share his peanut butter sandwich, that's pretty much it. It was just six minutes of whining. What happened to just being the guy that wanted the belt? When Goldberg came into, the, into WCW, he had no allegiances. He had no friends. He went in, he wanted to be at the top of his game, and that's what he did. If you want to give Ryback the Goldberg push, then don't make him look like a bitch. That's really what that promo accomplished. It didn't accomplish anything other than making Ryback look like a bitch. Especially considering that this is a guy who you've invested all this time and energy into. And that's how you justify his turn? If you even want to call it that? Because I I personally don't even want to say it's a full-on turn. He's not being a complete heel. People are actually into him whooping John Cena's ass. Seriously. But, moving along. Wade Barrett and R-Truth had a very good match, but the ending surprised me because R-Truth got the victory and Wade Barrett just looked incredibly shocked at the turn of events. I thought maybe Barrett might have got hurt or something might have happened in, in, in that transition for the pinfall or maybe the ref fucked up. But, seriously... It just didn't, it didn't look right. I was like, it was like, wow, that looked odd. 
Like, Wade Barrett really looked confused. He was like, hey, did that happen? And I was like, man, I think the ref may have messed up. But turns out he didn't. So moving along, I think the the worst part of that match for me is that, and this is another thing somebody brought to my attention, Kofi Kingston wins and R-Truth wins. It almost feels like they're affirmative action victories. Seriously. Not, not that that's really the case, but I really, really got the vibe that it was like that type of a situation because it always happens and it's always very convenient that Kofi Kingston wins one night and if R-Truth competes, he wins as well. I'm shocked that they didn't go for the trifecta and let the primetime players win, but, you know, Closet Races Vince strikes again. I'd actually do the uh, Closet Races Vince voice, but the vocal cords will not allow it this evening, so possibly next week. Team Road Scholars actually carried the Great Kali and Santino Morella to a passable match, considering that the Great Kali is pretty much wandering around like a zombie at this point. Here's an idea. Why don't you just have the Great Kali wrestle on a Segway? Maybe that'll work. Great Kali has a little ramp, rides up with the Segway into the ring, and he wrestles like that. Or maybe... Maybe they'll get those special suits that they're giving to people in wheelchairs that are allowing them to walk, and maybe he can wear one of those. Maybe you could give him the power loader from Aliens that Ripley used because he he can barely walk. I continue to say the same thing. I don't understand how the Great Kali is a cop in India, and he's you know he's running a, he's running around chasing criminals. I don't think that's happening. I think the Great Kali is sitting in a squad car and possibly writing tickets. That's about it. I don't think he's fighting any sort of crime whatsoever. So, our other promo of the evening, which was just a complete waste of time, involved an individual who we all know quite well. We all know what he's been doing. And for some reason, his um, he, he's pretty much, his gimmick is taking a turn towards the strange. And of course, we all know that this particular individual is the one and only Fandango, who we know his infectious theme music. Has taken a life of his own. I figured I'd play that just to just to fuck up all you guys who probably said to you said to yourselves, "Oh, I haven't hummed that song in in a couple of days." Well, guess what you're doing, humming that shit right now. So Jerry Lawler came out and he called out he called out Fandango for his little promo, and he pretty much decided to pronounce his name like Goku calling for a spirit bomb. I don't understand why he'd wasted so much time trying to pronounce his name like that. It was super awkward. Anyway, he pretty much told the audience to go Fandango themselves because they could not pronounce his name right. Now, while you would think that that would be something where you would kind of bring the heel heat back on, on, on a guy whose his theme music has become pretty much a meme at this point, it really fell flat. Honestly, when he was doing it and he was trying to 
to, to heal it up. It just wasn't working. Check it out. Who here tonight wants to go fun-dong-going with me? Do you people right here, do you want to go fun-dong-going, huh? Do you? What about, what about these people right here? Do you want to go fun-dong-going? What? What about you? Do you want to go find time going? Before we go find time going, I need for you to do one thing. And that's pronounce my name correctly. It goes like this. Fun! No. Fun! Done! No, no, no. You need to, you need to breathe in the A's. You gotta, you gotta breathe in the A's. Done! Cool. Now put that all together. Put it all together. What do you get? Fun time goal. Yeah, exactly. It was it was more Dragon Ball Z and less WWE in that exchange. And the worst part of it is that you can tell he was he was really into the crowd. And and you know Slick definitely shared that with people uh, during during the. Raw, you know, during Raw on Monday night, he he noted it on the fan page. You can see that he was he was smiling because he can see that the crowd was really into it. But overall, it just fell flat. You have a guy who who's a heel. He's cocky. He's arrogant. You shouldn't acknowledge the craze that he started. On the contrary, he should take every opportunity he's on camera to dismiss the 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 antics of the fans as something childish and as they can appreciate good dance he should really use that as his um his gimmick think about it he should be like you know hey fandango how do you feel about you know the fans chanting your music and all this stuff and he should just be like you know jerry the fans don't appreciate fandango they are stupid and ignorant you know like that you know channel a little bit of rick martell in there like that just just kind of bring it full circle to heal it up right there. It just seemed forced, contrived. It didn't seem natural in the least versus instances where people can talk to him and, and ask him about it. Like, hey, man, you know, people are chanting this. People are, you know, how do you feel? And he should just every time they ask him about it, he should just dismiss it as bullshit, as, you know, just the, the, these people being sycophants or, or whatever, however you want to acknowledge it. But you should acknowledge it in that way because it can keep the whole aura of him being a heel intact. Him coming out there and you questioning him about it, it just makes him 
it, it gives an aura of him becoming a face. You don't want to do that. You don't have that many heels at this moment that are completely over as being bad guys. I'd rather have the guy get booed for being a bad guy and, and cheered occasionally because people are into his gimmick than being cheered because it's forced and it's a forced face turn. It just doesn't work for me. Leave the guy alone. Let him be a heel. Ziggler, of course, with AJ and Big E took on Jack Swagger in a in a solid match. These guys, of course, they have uh, history between them. And the way it works out, we're going to get the triple threat, which, of course, was going to happen with Ziggler, Del Rio, and Jack Swagger at Extreme Rules. Big shocker there. Caitlin took on Nikki Bella in a match that pretty much was my I'm going to go get a snack match. One, because... It's the Bella Twins. Two, because their wrestling sucks. And three, you have a couple of divas on there. But, you know, Nikki Bella's the one that's going to wrestle and, um, you know, get the victory. I will say that the commentary in this match definitely um, brought up the quality quite a bit because those guys, their commentary, I think Vince wasn't yelling in their ear at that moment. And um, it worked out a little better. Anyway, to close things out, we had a beautiful main event promo to take things to take us away for the evening with, um, you know, John Cena and Ryback and Ryback, you know, pacing around and all this shit. And then of course, as academic as it should be, the shield come out and proceeded to kill John Cena dead with Ryback watching and walking away. Now here's, here's, here's a couple of ways that you could have done that differently. Ryback, who has beef with the shield anyway, should have came out, beat the shield up, and then beat John Cena up and walked away. If you really wanted to swerve everybody, Ryback could have ran to the ring, the shield could have stopped beating up John Cena, looked at Ryback, Ryback could have grabbed the mic and said, all those attacks by the shield were just initiation. And Ryback could have joined the shield. And I'll tell you why, because you're going to be like, Rich, you know, what the fuck, man? You want Ryback to join the Shield? Here's why. Every faction always needs a guy for each belt. You need your tag belts, you need your secondary belt, and you need your world champion belt. Now, looking at the Shield the way that they are now, you could probably give Roman Reigns a US title or an IC title push because you know WWE is going to look to him to be the breakout star. Because, you know, he's the bigger guy. And then you're going to make Rollins and Ambrose a tag team. I really doubt they're going to let Am- Rollins go solo yet. But seriously, Ambrose and Rollins as, as your tag team champions. Reigns as your U.S. champion. And Ryback as a member of the Shield getting the main belt. That's how you get factions over. Don't get me wrong. The Shield coming out and fucking people up every week is great. I love it. You know, that's what that's the kind of stuff we look forward to. But I will say that going that route with a faction gets the faction over and allows the each member of the faction to shine on their own. At least that's the way I always looked at it. I always felt that whenever you created a faction, whether it's, you know, guys and girls or or all guys, you you got to do it from the standpoint that there's a superstar for each belt. We were talking about this a couple of days ago, and I was saying that if she hadn't been already debuted 
I would have made Caitlyn a member of the Shield because she kind of she kind of fits. She kind of fits that dynamic. And again, you got tag team, secondary belt, women's championship, and a main title. The only other the only other way that that would work would be with Ziggler, Big E, and AJ. You can make Ziggler and Big E tag team champions. You can also make Big E a secondary title holder, either US or IC, and AJ get your women's championship. Shit just works. It works. But then again, you know, this is common sense. This is the easiest thing to do, and we don't get that. Unfortunately, that is not the case. Anyway, Raw closed out with John Cena catching an ass whooping and the shield standing tall and Ryback walking away. Very, very subpar. If I had to give Raw a rating, I'd have to say it was a 5 this week. Seriously, out of a, out of a possible 10, it was a 5. It had some shades of, 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 of advancement, but the majority of it was, was subpar and definitely cookie cutter. Meanwhile, on the impact side of things, things... Things on the impact side of things definitely moved a little better. We we the opening contest was a handicap match with Kurt Angle and Wes Briscoe and Garrett Bischoff. That was actually really really good. Uh, beautiful spot with Kurt Angle delivering a German suplex to both Garrett Bischoff and Wes Briscoe at the same time. Don't get crazy. A German suplex to both of them. It's a crazy spot. If I find video of it on. On TNA's page, I will share that on the fan page. It was definitely a very, very cool spot, to say the least. Of course, Aces and Aids come out on top with Briscoe and Bischoff getting the victory due to involvement by D'Lo. But what do you expect? We had an awesome X Division title match between Kenny King, Zima Ion, and Petey Williams. Of course, we got to see the debut of the ref cam called the X Cam, which is basically a head-mounted camera that the referee wears to give us a different view of the action going on. It was kind of cool, a little gimmicky because the picture had a, a bit of a yellow tinge to it, but overall it was it was cool. I really like the uh triple threat X division title matches. They're really cool. Kind of allows the guys to to work together as a as a cohesive unit to deliver a solid match. Beautiful spot as always the Canadian destroyer from PD Williams. Zima Ion never disappoints and Kenny King escapes with the victory in a very, very, very hard-fought match. Kenny King continues to impress. Zima Ion, since he took the pinfall, he is out of contention for an X Division title shot due to the new rules of the X Division, so Petey Williams is still in there. And, of course, who doesn't love the Canadian Destroyer, which we got to see? Awesome, awesome match. Meanwhile, we were supposed to get a TV title match between Magnus and Devon. That did not happen. Um, of course, Aces and Eights attack Magnus, and he's down, which sets up Samoa Joe and Devon for later this evening. The women's number one contenders match between Mickey James and Miss Tessmacher was pretty good. Um, Miss Tessmacher continues to improve, though though she's got a long way to go. She's still improving, and her matches are are getting better. I'm a little dumbfounded by ODB playing a ref. I understand you want to have a woman ref the knockout matches, but Honestly, ODB is an asset to the knockouts division. I don't understand why they never want to put the belt on her. She's a great competitor. People are into her character. They love her character. And you can bring any other knockout in and have them be the official for the time being and give ODB some ring time. I don't understand the logic 
in that booking because, like I said, ODB is a tremendous, tremendous talent. Meanwhile, Mickey James, once again, is your number one contender for the knockouts belt. So that's where that's going to go. The match, like I said, it was all right. It started off pretty good, but it just, it just, like I said, it looked a little sloppy on Miss Tessmacher's part, and ODB is adjusting to being a ref. Like I said, I'd rather have any other female ref and ODB wrestle, but again, that's just me. Devon and Samoa Joe had a, a pretty decent TV title match that you knew was going to end in shenanigans as it did with Mr. Anderson using the brass knucks on Samoa Joe at the time. Devon retains the belt. It really wasn't much of a match. Like just showing off aces and eights, which I mean, it's okay, but you can't continue to do this every week. Having them look so dominant. You got to let the TNA guys have some good matches especially on free television, because again, if you're going to build up the, you know, bigger pay-per-views that are more sporadic, you're going to want to give people the, the opportunity to see the stories unfold and not have the matches end the way they did. AJ Styles and James Storm had a really, really good, good match. I was tremendously impressed with the way it went. I think AJ's um, new attitude, his new look works you kind of want to go with that whole, um, you know, you want to go with the more darker AJ. There was less flashy stuff. I like the knee bar style submission that he used in the match. Very, very impressed. The chemistry was a little off, I think, just because, you know, AJ hasn't been on TV. And James Storm, he's more of a brawler. AJ's more, he's definitely a little bit more flashy, even though his style was more subdued with this new attitude change. But it was it was tremendous. Um it was a nice end to have, you know, Daniels and Kazarian come in to celebrate with AJ, and then AJ laid them out, and um, Aces and Eights come in to attack Storm, Daniels and Kazarian are being beat down, and Aces and Eights stand tall. I don't know yet if we're going to go with the whole AJ is joining Aces and Eights. I think we're going to go with the whole Willie or Woney, and he'll just end up being the loner, a la Sting, but, um, you know... It was a solid ending showing the dominance of Aces and Eights, but we can't continue to have this be the ending every week. I really liked AJ Styles' new offense. It worked with his character. We had a a lot of good high points and impact this week. I actually can say, and it pains me to say it, but impact was a better broadcast than Raw this week. Simple as that. Oh, I got to shout out Slick for including that, um, that angle double German suplex. And Slick asked me, you know, what about Punk kind of leaving him out with regards to Raw? The reason I left Punk out from Raw is because I wanted to kind of discuss it a little bit more in the news segment because it just, it was very abrupt what happened with with, with, um, CM Punk on Raw. And that's going to just need its own shtick, which I'll discuss in a few minutes. Anyway, as I said... Impact was a better broadcast than Raw this week, which is surprising, but that's what happens. Anyway, to get into this week's wrestling news, and, you know, I'm glad Slick asked that question, I want to talk a little bit about CM Punk. This past Monday, CM Punk delivered a kind of a a broken promo in the sense that he was coming out there and he started to speak and you can tell he was going to get emotional. He gave Paul Heyman a hug and walked out. Now, here's a few things. A lot of wrestling websites are reporting that CM Punk had a major falling out with WWE creative 
leading up to WrestleMania and after WrestleMania because they wanted CM Punk to come out there and, and, and cut what I'd like to call a whiny promo, a la Ryback. CM Punk's character is, you know, he's, he's a warrior. He, yeah, he's playing the heel right now, but he's playing a brutally honest heel. You have a guy who was champion for 400 and something days, had a tremendous match with a legend, and is going to come out there and whine about it? That makes absolutely no sense for CM Punk's character. I can understand the frustration if that's true. And honestly, it's a disservice to Punk. You have a guy who carried your company for 400 plus days, wrestled on every program, every pay-per-view, and you want to reward that with having him cut out, come out and cut what I like to call a bitch promo? It's, it's a travesty. It truly is a travesty. So, from what's being said, CM Punk's walking out on Monday is twofold. He's going to rest up his injuries and he's going to take some time off. That's what they're saying. They're saying CM Punk is going to be off television, get this, till at minimum SummerSlam, which is crazy. So, you know, CM Punk, if, if this is true, because, you know, everything on, on the web is always speculation and rumor, but if it's true, he deserves the break. The guy's been wrestling nonstop, nonstop. Matches with some of the best, including your main eventers, including your part-timers being Undertaker and The Rock, and you repay him by having him go out there and cut a whiny promo? It's stupid. It does nothing for his character. On the contrary, it's a disservice to what he's done. This is a guy that prides himself on being the best in the world. And instead, they go with, you're going to be a whiner. That's what you're going to be. You're going to be a whiner. And if that's true, like I said, it's, it's not right. So I'd rather CM Punk go, rest up, heal up his injuries... Come back with a good story and a good program. Because honestly, if he came back and worked a program with, say, Dolph Ziggler, it would probably have not only great wrestling, but great promo work. It would be tremendous. There's there's no... CM Punk could have come out and cut a promo saying, you know, I had a match with the dead man. The dead man was a better man that night. But that that was just that night. I'm still the best in the world. So... You know, very, very weird that they wanted him to do that. Anyway, just a uh, a word of warning. Slick is telling me that the Blog Talk Radio audio crapped out. Um, I don't know what the hell is going on on their end. Like I said, they seem to be experiencing some technical difficulties. I would like to tell people if they are listening via Blog Talk Radio and they can hear the sound of my voice, make sure to check out Mixler.com forward slash my take radio and catch the Mixler feed, which is not only better quality audio, but of course you can listen to the show live. Anyway, I know Slick is listening on the phone line, so he'll be able to listen, um, of course, via Blog Talk Radio and call in, but I'm sure he can also listen via Mixler. Same thing for Dark Helmet in the chat. Use the uh, Mixler link and listen that way as well. Anyway, Switching gears back into the wrestling news, it seems that Stephanie McMahon has succeeded in pissing off 2K Games because, according to the Wrestling Observer and WrestleZone, 
She let the cat out of the bag that The Rock would be the cover athlete for WWE 2K14. Obviously, this was going to be a big deal with The Rock appearing on WWE television for the announcement and to promote the game. So when Stephanie McMahon made the announcement on Twitter, 2K employees were kind of spazzing out about it because all those big plans were ruined. Um, I see that Waffles is in the Mixler chat. Thanks, Waffles, for stopping in on that end. Like I said, I don't know what's going on on the BTR side of things, but they did acknowledge that they are experiencing some technical difficulties, so sometimes shit like that is just out of my hands. Anyway, as I was saying, you know, Stephanie McMahon kind of fucked up letting the cat out of the bag, but I will say that, you know, it's 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 crazy that she... Not to say that she wasn't aware of it, but think about this. You, um... You know, you have a company that just took over your your flagship franchise for your program, for your game. And you want to kind of let those guys cement their status as your flagship brand and as the company that's going to take your games to the next level. You really wanted to give them the, um, the Rock announcement on Monday Night Raw. So, I don't know. I mean, honestly... It was probably a misstep, and I'm sure it'll be forgotten, and I'm sure The Rock will go out of his way to promote his appearance on the 2K14 cover, but again, you know, it's one of those things where you're gonna you're gonna ruffle a few feathers, and I think this was definitely not the way Stephanie McMahon wanted to get the ball rolling. In some other news, Dave Meltzer is reporting that Batista has been training to come back to wrestling, saying that he is close to the 290-pound mark that he was during his previous WWE run. It seems that Batista is interested in coming back to WWE and working with The Rock and or Brock Lesnar. Think about this, though. With The Rock on the shelf because of his injury and the possibility of a Brock Lesnar-Rock WrestleMania 30 match not happening, WWE could bring Batista in to fill The Rock's role. You know, the way it looks, it wouldn't be a bad idea either because you'd get a bigger push from Marvel and the WWE with that. Batista is going to be in Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, which is supposed to be filming this summer, and a match with Brock Lesnar wouldn't wouldn't be a bad deal. It really would not be a bad deal. It sucks because, obviously, we don't get to see that Rock and Brock match, but Batista could go in there and he can hold a serviceable match with Brock Lesnar. Not only that, but, you know, like I said, it's great promotion for Guardians of the Galaxy. PW Insider reports that Fandango's theme song was number 44 in the UK charts this week. It was only 239 sales away from breaking the top 40. The placement at number 44 would make Fandango's theme the first WWE song since Hacksaw Jim Duggan's single of WWF Slam Jam to hit the UK charts. Um, it's It's ridiculous. <laughs> The fact that his song was number 44, I don't know what's going on over there in the UK, but for for that song to be in, in, in cracking the top 40 is insane. But what can you do? People listen to weird shit. Hell, I actually have um, Fandango's theme music as uh, my fiance's ringtone. It's actually my fiance's ringtone. And when it's rang in stores on a, on a couple of occasions, people will be like, is that, is that that guy's theme music? And I'm like, yeah, and they're just like, shit, it's going to be stuck in my head all day. 
<laughs> I, I I kid you not. I do have that as a ringtone on my phone. I, I also have the shield as the ringtone on my phone. But you know that's that, that's the wrestling fan in me. What do you what do you expect? Ah, Slick said that Fandango's music ranked as high as number two on iTunes. Holy shit! Thanks for that, Slick. I did not notice that. I haven't turned on iTunes in a couple of weeks, so I didn't get a chance to see that. But I guess I guess he's uh, he's taking the world by storm with that shit. I got to give kudos to WWE also for their superstars for Sandy's Sandy Relief. Their fundraising auctions raised half a billion dollars. I kid you not. Actually, sorry, sorry, sorry. Correction. Half a million, half a million, 524,742. Had an extra zero in there for some reason. Typo on my part. Anyway, the auction, the auctions actually raised funds for relief in relation to Hurricane Sandy in New York and New Jersey. The online auctions ran from March 25th to April 9th. They included a whole bunch of different things, including experiences with WWE talent and other celebrities. Um, over 2,000 bids were placed from 152 countries, and that set a record on charity auction site CelebrityBuzz.com. It was it was tremendous, and and you know I beat up on the WWE, but when it comes to their you know their, their stuff with Make a Wish and all their charity relief, it's you can't beat that. Five hundred twenty four thousand seven hundred forty two dollars is a tremendous milestone in such a short amount of time, from March 25th to April 9th. Short amount of time to make half a million dollars, not half a billion, half a million. Anyway, in an unfortunate turn of events, and I feel bad for Jerry Lawler, it seems that his son, Brian Christopher, who you may know as Grandmaster Sexay, was arrested for a DUI charge. He's scheduled for a hearing this Friday. Christopher was arrested early morning on April 11th when he failed to stop at an intersection. According to the police report, Christopher admitted to drinking more than half a liter of vodka and taking methadone and Xanax. (sighs) It pains me to say that I really don't want to open up a wrestling site and find out that that guy died. Because it's just, the signs are all there. And WWE sponsors a a treatment program that they have for, you know, for for drug addiction. So to, to see this and see that, you know, to see these news and and see that type of, of hardcore drinking and drug use, it's a cry for help. You really, really, really got to find a way to get this guy in a rehab, or, or we're going to get another another news story with another dead wrestler that's just going to add more negative press to the industry. I'm, say, I'm, I'm saying it before, and I'm saying it again. Get this guy some help. I believe this is now his second DUI that I've reported on air. I don't know... If it was le- maybe last year or the year before, but seriously, a liter of vodka, methadone, and Xanax. How are you not fucking dead? That's all I'm saying. Last bit of wrestling news to close things out this week. Uh, there's word going around that Sammy Callahan is undergoing WWE medical testing, and it's usually that's usually the last obstacle before talent is officially signed with WWE. Big Santa, a big fun of, uh, excuse me, big fan of Sammy Callahan's work in CZW. He's one of those guys that I always wanted to interview on air from CZW because he's just a tremendous talent. Um, to see him go to WWE is is really really cool. Um, he joins the likes of you know other great independent standouts like El Generico, uh, 
Cassius Ono, who you guys know as Chris Hero, Claudio Castagnoli, who is Antonio Cesaro now, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, etc., etc. Just another great, talented athlete that I'm hoping makes a huge impact in the WWE. Anyway, that's going to close out wrestling news for this week. We're going to switch gears, and we're going to talk some video games. So, let's get right to it. Alright, so, we're going to open things up this week with um, a fresh coat of paint for a Mickey Mouse game. And that is a game that I haven't heard of in years. Get this, Castle of Illusion Starring Mickey Mouse, which came out on the Sega Genesis in 1990. I was 10 years old at the time. Christ, I'm old. Anyway, um, Castle of Illusion is going to be getting a new digital release on Xbox Live Arcade, PSN, and Windows this summer. The game originally debuted, like I said, on Genesis and Mega Drive. This brand new digital version is going to be completely rebuilt from the ground up with new visuals, new gameplay mechanics. It's it's going to be great. That was one of the games that I actually played religiously on the Sega Genesis right up there with the Lion King which um you know if you played if you played the Lion King on Sega Genesis or Aladdin you know that during that period of time Disney was cranking out some amazing games some tremendously enjoyable games that's one game I'd love to see get the the refresh treatment it would be Aladdin I think Aladdin on Sega Genesis at the time was ridiculous anyway um slick just informed me that the audio on Blog Talk Radio is working, and I'm letting you guys know in case you guys want to call in for any of the remaining segments for this evening. 347-324-3541 is the number if you want to call in to Blog Talk Radio. Um, thanks for that, Slick. Slick always keeping me in the know. Dark Helmet says that The Lion King is an impossible game. The Lion King, though, regardless of difficulty level, is probably one of the best Disney games. Like I said, right up there with Aladdin at that time. Castle of Illusion goes in that group. All tremendous games that they were putting out. Think about this. Games that were running on on systems that old really look that good. The visuals on Aladdin were amazing at the time. They were beautiful. They, they, They practically looked like they came right out of the cartoon. Just tremendous, tremendous work. And to see Castle of Illusion and DuckTales get that that acknowledgement, it's great. I really would love to see... Uh, Chippendale's Rescue Rangers get a fresh coat of paint. I'd rebuy that. I would also rebuy, like I said, Aladdin. I'd rebuy The Lion King. Just like I'm going to rebuy Castle of Illusion when it drops. Anyway, it will be available on Xbox Live Arcade, PSN, and on Windows this summer. Now, if you picked up your latest Game Informer, I'm sure you've seen Batman Arkham Origins is all over it. We're going to be seeing Black Mask as the bad guy there, and we're going to be seeing a a plethora of assassins that will be debuting to take on the Dark Knight, including Deathstroke, and I'm sure we're going to see some of the other notables like like Deadshot. I would like to see Lady Shiva in there, and of course some of the other villains as well, including the Joker and some of your favorite Batman villains. I will say this, I really want to see Deathstroke in the game. I'd like to see Deadshot... I'd like to see Lady Shiva. Um, we can see the League of Assassins, and you can include so many characters in there because I think that would really round out the game quite nicely. And frankly, playing as Deathstroke in Injustice um, really kind of helps along with regards to that. 
in my opinion, I think going this route with Batman is a different spin, and it also keeps the game out there in terms of just giving DC some 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 more digital presence. Obviously, with Injustice Now and Batman on October 25th, like I said, you're going to be able to pick that up on the Wii U, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and PC. Slick just informed me that he's going to be calling in, so let me bring him on. Slick, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? Not too much. What's up with you? You sound pretty good on this Direct Connect blog talk radio shit, even though the system itself is being a little sketchy. Yeah, I had to turn off the mixer because it'll feedback, but I can, I'm having a problem hearing you. Where, on on this thing? Yeah, it's choppy as shit. Well, I can still hear you anyway. Just uh, get your piece out regarding Batman. Don't worry about me. I won't say much. Um, I just was. Uh, I, I saw like a video with a roundtable discussing where they really went into Batman. Everybody in the discussion, you know, they were big fans of the Arkham series, and they had both concerns and you know feelings of promise for the series going forward. One thing that a lot of people may not know is that Batman Arkham Origins is not being made by Rockstar. That's correct. Technically, it's going to be, a, like, it might be a separate series of games, like prequel-type games. And, um... They do have Rocksteady's Rocksteady blessing, though. will probably still make future Arkham titles or just Batman titles which one thing that they, they spoke about in the, the roundtable, which is not official in any way or confirmed in any kind of capacity, is that, you know, the first game was Arkham Asylum. It was the island. And there was Arkham City, which was a piece of Gotham City. They were like, where would you go from there? And one of the suggestions was the, um, the No Man's Land story arc. That would work. That would be incredible because you literally have all of Gotham City and you would have to employ multiple characters, not just as battle arenas, but you'd have to have characters like Nightwing and Red Robin being able to play the, the main story as well, the same way that you had um, Catwoman in certain places. I wouldn't mind that at all. I'd like to see... Um, Red Robin, I'd like to see Nightwing actually get some playtime in the game because while it is cool to see that stuff in the maps, it, it would be just a great way to flesh out the gameplay. I think going with this, um, with Batman taking on the Assassins, it's going to be interesting because I like that they're using a character like Black Mask because Black Mask is always a character that I've always felt was underutilized, especially because he's such a crazy character. Yeah. You know, he's very brutal, I mean, he's very they, sadistic. They kind of have to because Arkham City, there was so much illusion to Black Mask that you thought he was going to pop up at some point. Exactly. And then it was just DLC. No, that's that. That's the thing. I think, I think going that route with what you're saying with No Man's Land would be tremendous. The other thing I wanted to add would be a great launch pad where you can also do missions in Metropolis. 
Because Batman doesn't always stay in Arkham City, you know? And you can add you can add uh, a Superman cameo in there. I'm not saying do 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 you know a, a, an entire level in Metropolis, but might be a question where something is going on where you know some villains are pooling their resources and Superman needs an assist, and you can do one level over there. Yeah, and they were saying this could be another way to launch Cat into you know eventually doing a Justice League movie by announcing. I mean, um, including some of these characters in the games or um, in, like, little movies, like the, the recent Marvel movie that came out, the, um, the Iron Man movie. Do you, have a, do you have a radio? Do you have the show playing in the background? Because I hear the feedback of you talking. No, that's just the terrible block talk radio audio. Jesus. All right. I turned everything off. Okay, cool. Proceed. You sound good. But um, the one other thing I could think of that they could do that would probably be pushing the story into the New 52 area where they could still include uh, the rest of the Bat family if they did something like Court of Owls. Court of Owls would be insane if they did that. That would be that would be tremendous. would be absolutely so that, tremendous. That, I mean, at one point in the game, you have Batman literally missing for two weeks. And everybody's looking for them. So, I mean, that would be a perfect way to incorporate everybody else. Yo, I definitely agree with that 100%. I, th- I think doing doing something like that, you the beauty of the Batman mythology is that there's so many different areas that you can play with with regards to the games. But taking a company like Rocksteady, who's done such a great job, you can actually branch off and do some other games with some characters that you can have a lot of fun with. Like, I'd like to see Rocksteady tackle a Superman game in the same gritty feel, because Superman has a pretty decent rogues gallery that you can use in that type of an atmosphere. Lex Luthor, Doomsday, Bizarro, Mr. Mitzelplik, you can do a level with him, the same way you did the Scarecrow level where you got wasted on the on the Scarecrow poison. Imagine a Mitzelplik level as Superman... And he's and he's trapped in that universe for a level. You could have him fight Mongol. You could you know you could close it out with him fighting Darkseid at the end. I agree. The only thing is like, for one thing, if Rocksteady were to tackle Superman, I think they would have to use the New Fifty Two Superman. Right. Just to go with the way they do games, that Superman himself is darker than. The previous Superman. Yeah, I'd, I'd use the new 52 Superman. I mean, that's the beauty of, of the Arkham City games. They fall into that plane of slightly new 52, slightly regular DC, you know? So you can have a little fun with that and mix a little in there, but definitely a new 52 Superman, but using those elements, like I said, of of Arkham City, and then at the end, you know, you can fight Darkseid, or you can even fight some of his agents, you know, like Desad or Steppenwolf. You can you can have a good time with that. You can fight Mongol if you wanted to go that route, and still and still use a little bit of that. You know, you could transverse the city via via flight. Obviously, like they're saying in this new game, Batman will be able to use the Bat Plane to go through. You know, those, those uh, to speed up travel through some of the bigger areas. I think things like that are going to be. You know, things like that could be integrated just as fluidly into a Superman game. Yeah, I would love to see them do it. As much as I don't really care for Superman, 
It'll be nice to see someone finally get his game right. Yes, that's it. That's exactly it, dude. It's not even a question of being a fan of the Big Blue Boy Scout. It's just the fact that for once, give the fucking guy a good game. Like, imagine, like, you could have side missions like they did with Batman, where, you know, Superman, you hear his super, with his superhuman hearing, you'll be, you know, you hear a mugging, or you hear a bank robbery, and you could fly and you do that, and, you know, that'll be, you know, that can add, a, you know, achievements and stuff like that. Much like they did in the new trailer, you know, where, where there's a part in the trailer where, not in the trailer, in um, Injustice, where Superman's wind pose, he's hovering above the earth, and he hears somebody say, help me, Superman, and he flies he flies off to the rescue. Like you could incorporate that and make that its own mini game, similar to you know, like Riddler trophies. Yeah, um, I just saw Waffles in the mix of chat. He was saying that they should do a Batman Beyond game. That would be awesome. I definitely agree with Waffles. Um, I mean, we've already seen them render the suit because the last game, you know, you you were able to unlock the the Batman Beyond costume and it's an injustice by the way yeah i still think it looks better in in arkham city but oh it does we we all know my distaste for injustice so we'll leave leave that alone right now (laughs) but i mean the batman beyond universe if, if rock city picked that up and made a game out of it i mean his villains are I mean, they have similarities to, to original Batman villains, but they just, they literally are futuristic. They're just out there by comparison. Right. Like, I, I caught an episode of Batman Beyond the other day. I don't even know what the hell I was watching. I completely forgot about um, the guy that his father used to work for that became Blight. Yep, I'm that like, guy was awesome. Characters like that was just crazy. Well, Blight, the Blight character was definitely ahead of his time at the time because he was extremely dark. Like, he was an extremely scary-looking character at the time. And then you had people like, like, uh, Blight and... I like Ink. Ink was cool. Not Blight, you said Blight. Ink, I was meant to say. And, of course, you have all the Jokers running around. So you you always have a steady stream of crime to fight. I don't know why they don't, they don't make a Batman Beyond game. I mean, for one thing, it would be something different. Because even though I'm not saying that, that they're running out of ideas with the, the Batman Arkham series, it's like you already have two titles with the Arkham name in it. You're making a third. They're probably making a fourth by Rocksteady. And plus you have the, the Vita game coming out. No, I think like, I think do something different. I think you can, and like I said, I think Rocksteady can really test themselves by taking a crack at Superman. That would be awesome. I I just hope they have a lot of testing, a lot of quality assurance, <laughs> and definitely some some early demos that come out before that game hits shelves. Yeah, well, I think I think it, it, the three things you got to really work on are combat mechanics, obviously, but you also can have a lot of fun with the Superman abilities because the, you might need to do a mission where you got to use super speed to get in a building and disarm some terrorists, but the building has lead has lead in the wall, so you can't use X-ray vision to see all the terrorists. Like think of stuff like that, you I know, you. or or maybe. 
you know, you have to, you have to, there's a sniper on the roof and you have to fly in and deflect the bullets before he shoots like, you know, Lex Luthor at a press conference. And you can make that a mini game the where he's flying in to deflect the bullet. I didn't hear what you said. Go ahead. I said that you can make it a mini game where he's flying in to deflect the bullet from hitting Lex Luthor, on you know, in a self-orchestrated assassination. Of course, it would be. Of course, it would be. I'd expect nothing less with Lex Luthor, you know. But it, it's just a very, very dangerous task to try to make a Superman game. No, I I understand what you're saying. It's so, true. It's it's definitely it's definitely dancing on the edge. But you got to take it into consideration. What's the worst that can happen? Superman sixty four. <laughs> well, Superman Returns was pretty bad too. Well, yeah, but Superman sixty four is like the worst rated game. So I figured I would dig in the crates for it. I think it actually rated better than the Aquaman game. I had a, um, I was going to do, I think I had recorded a blast from the past and I didn't think I uploaded it to YouTube where I played the Superman arcade game where you fought robots. And if player two joined in, the Superman would be wearing a yellow costume. Yeah, I was about to mention that game. Like that was pretty much the only good Superman game. Yeah. Where you fight the robots and then you charge up the punch to do the super punch. And then you do the flying levels with the, with the heat vision. I think I think I'm gonna capture yep. that and put it on YouTube with some commentary. Maybe I'll record it. Maybe I'll record the video and have you do the commentary for it. Oh God! I think <laughs> I, I think that I think that's what we may need to do. <laughs> uh, the one other thing I was gonna say though, if Rocksteady was to tackle another Justice League character. Considering considering the excellent way they do combat, it might be better for them to do Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman game would be and interesting. It might be better for them to start. It might be better for them to start with Wonder Woman before going to Superman because it's a good transition from Batman as far as the fighting, and you have a character that does fly. This is true, but the problem is Wonder Woman's rogues gallery is a lot thinner than Superman's. You got a point there. If there was any other character I would use, and it's kind of obscure, but dude, I'd use the Flash. Because the Flash has a pretty solid rogues gallery. What were you saying? No, I said the Flash has a pretty decent rogues gallery. Yeah, plus... With characters like the Flash, you can kind of mix and match. You can take from other people's rogue galleries too. That is very true. That is definitely very, very, very true. Well, you know what? While I have you here, I'll go through the the rest of the gaming news with you. Um, it seems that Warner Brothers is going to probably turn the Injustice game series into a franchise. Um, based on what's been going on with the with the initial results of the game, they figure that NetherRealm has a bit of a winner on their hands, so they're going to probably go with an ongoing series. We'll see how those MPD numbers crank out once that's done, and that'll really, in my opinion, determine if they're going to move forward with making this a franchise. Honestly, I wouldn't mind an ongoing franchise with a superhero genre if it's done right. If DC's going to keep doing it, I, I really hope that if you're going to keep doing them, 
It doesn't just become a needless roster update and you actually take the opportunity to move the game forward. Like, I honestly would like to see other, you know, some obscure characters in there like, um, what's his name? Um, Firestorm or um, Captain Adam. Those characters, those characters, you know, just, just some of the other characters that were part of continuity, like playing as Darkseid, obviously, is, is, is a given. Even though he was used in Mortal Kombat versus DC, which a lot of people try to forget, but still, you know, that would be, it would be cool if you're going to go that route to give us some of those other characters. Like, if you're going to give us Wonder Woman, you could give us Wonder Girl, Supergirl, um, Superboy Prime would be badass. Don't just recycle the same shit, you know? Yeah, but they probably will recycle the same shit. Well, certain characters... And honestly, I don't see the Injustice franchise as having a very long life. Okay. The only thing that will keep it alive will be the, the, um, the comics that accompanies it, because that story is fantastic. Right. But I, I honestly think... You know, the DC Universe has ample characters they could put in there. And there's certain things that bothered me because looking at the roster that's in the game now, every villain has a rogue that corresponds to them. You know, Batman has Joker and Harley. You know, Nightwing falls into that same rogues gallery. But, like, Aquaman is there. And don't get me wrong, I clown Aquaman all the time. But they should have given him, you know, Black Man. I cannot hear you at all. I can hear you clearly. I can hear you clear. Well, I hope this isn't feeding back because the only way I can hear you is through the Mixler chat. All right, well, if you're listening to it through the Mixler chat, just turn the volume down because I can hear it. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, the um, with Aquaman in the game, you have him in there, but then you don't have, like, Black Manta in there, who's, like, one of his main bad guys, or Ocean Master. That's the kind of shit that annoys me with Injustice, and it's one of those things I'm going to acknowledge in in the game you know in the game review certain heroes are there but their rogues aren't like you gave wonder woman aries when you should have given her cheetah cheetah's one of her bigger rogues aries became a rogue recently you know again i feel like they really didn't put the proper time and work into the game well there's a lot of there there's definitely a lot of things that are that are negatives in that game, but it's not enough for me to say that the game is shit. I think it's definitely pick up and play. Um, I think they're really hoping that it hits the the fighting game tournament circuit and that it becomes very popular because that's what they're that's what they're shooting for. Honestly, for me, it's not a question of do you want to make it work. It's more of a question of can it work in the long term, which is what you were saying. That the game, if you get maybe a second game or a third game at best, that's what's going to extend the shelf life. Well, what would really extend the shelf life to me, and I mean, you can definitely contest this, would be, you know, better gameplay. I can agree to that. I mean, the gameplay here is fairly is fairly to good. Me, when I, when I, when every time I look at the game, it just looks clunky, and I'm not even talking about the, the controls because I've honestly not played it, but just the way the characters move, it's just awful to me. There's definitely a robotic move set in there depending on the characters. I think and Solomon... I can't hear you again. <laughs> I think um, 
Solomon Grundy, Doomsday, those guys, they move a little slower. Well, characters like, well, Solomon Grundy, you would expect to move slower. Doomsday, not so much. Yeah, but slow is one thing, but robotic is another. Like, the, the, the movement doesn't seem fluid. Exactly. I mean, Batman's special move, I mean, his super move, is one of the worst things I've seen in a long time as far <laughs> as that type of of attack animation. Yeah, it definitely looked a little off-putting when I saw it. I was like, wow, that's it? That's a super? Shit. <laughs> The best thing that they could come up with was to copy the scene in Arkham Asylum where he made the Batmobile hit Bane. Pretty much. They did announce one of the DLC characters, though, which is Lobo, and I'm actually looking forward to playing as him because, come on, who doesn't want to play as Lobo? I gotta let sleep. Did they say who's supposed to voice him? No idea. That would make a big difference in, you know, how well he goes over. Good point. It's probably going to be an overpowered character. I'm sure of it, dude. I think it's going to be just random chains and and guns and a lot of shooting. The DC Universe is, is weird for a fighting game to start with, and they, they really didn't do much to even attempt to balance things. No, I agree 100%. It's definitely very, very weird, to say the least. But, I mean, if people like it, It'll, they'll make more, and that's the bottom line. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like I said, three games tops. I'm hoping for one game tops, but again, that's me. I hear you. Well, you know what? On the Marvel side of things, they're starting to release the incentives for pre-ordering the Deadpool game. So if you pre-order through GameStop, you're going to get some incentives, including two challenge maps, two new costumes, and a digital wallpaper. There's also rumored to be a different set of incentives for Amazon pre-orders as well. I know one of the costumes is Hip Hop Deadpool, and the other costume is the X-Force Deadpool. I mean, that's all great, but I mean, ultimately it's going to wind up being just like with um, Arkham Asylum, where you can just get all the costumes eventually, and unless the costumes do something... I need a better incentive to, to pre-order the game. I mean, I, I will more than likely play the Deadpool game, but, I mean, give me something better. No, I agree 100%, but, you know, they, they got to they gotta do something, especially with regards to pre-order. So, I mean, the costumes are cool and the challenge maps are fine, but like Waffle said in the Mixler chat, hopefully the different costumes will, will add to what he says in the game. Like, if you're wearing the X-Force costume and you interact with Cable or with Wolverine, you get different dialogue than when he wears the regular costume. At least allow the game to be switched up with regards to the costume. I mean, that's a that's a cool idea that Waffle shared. That's a cool idea. The problem is Waffles is not on the development team, and as <laughs> we've seen many times in the past, we've had cool ideas, and they never see the light of day. Of course not. Uh, I um, have one... Really big beef with things like costumes and all that bullshit and trying to get us to, to pre-order the game. And this ties into this Tuesday's release of Dead Island Riptide. Dead Island Riptide is, according to Dee Silver, not a sequel to Dead Island. It's a continuation of the story. And it's not Dead Island 2, but it is a full game. But they said because this game is coming out, at the end of 
this generation's console life cycle, they they cut ten bucks off the price. It's it's only forty nine ninety nine for the main game. Not bad. And more more games need to be doing that, especially a game like Deadpool, where it's you know, it's a video game character game, which by definition means it's a crapshoot. Right. And um, that game definitely needs to be forty nine ninety nine. Especially if you want us to pre-order it and you're going to try to throw all this bullshit DLC at us. No, you're right. I mean, I, you know me. I, I'm quick to get up these companies' asses for random DLC and bullshit. And I'm also quick to give um, companies props when they do something right. Makes sense. Like, the um, if you order... If you pre-order um, Dead Island, you get you get a steel box for one, which people are already trying to kill you for that. I've seen it uh, sold on Amazon for twenty-five bucks. You get a digital map. You get um, you get like extra mods in the game, and this is if you just get the regular version. If you get the special edition, the the or the rigor mortis edition, they call it. You know, you get all the swag that comes with it, the suitcase, the key, the, the um, dismembered hand, bottle opener, and the, the zombie bobblehead. You still get all the, the content that you get with the original version of the game. Plus, you get more extra content, more um, DLC with that version. And I'm like, this is what companies need to do. I mean, not only right now because our current consoles are reaching you know, the end of their time with us, but going forward with the PS4 and the, the next Xbox, they need to continue to do this because they, they want more money from us, but they're giving us less and less. That's true. I just, I, I can't, I can't let them, I don't see how they're trying to justify these, this, like the crap that they give us. No, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. Yep, no. Let's see. Well, what, what was your, um, I mean, I haven't had a chance to read your review yet. What, what's your real take on, on Injustice? Like, you said that it's it's coming out better than the the, um, the demo. Well, I haven't, I haven't published a review yet because I got to edit the video that's going with it, but it definitely wasn't as clunky as the demo appeared to be. I think that the demo was still a little raw. The game itself is definitely a bit more fluid. Certain characters have definitely a, a better fluid move set than others. Like Catwoman is in the game and she moves very gracefully, very fluid. Uh, Nightwing moves very fluid as well. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where the game the game is good. Am I going to say that the game is a perfect ten or a perfect five? Absolutely not. Is it better than Mortal Kombat versus DC? Absolutely. Does it give the DC characters a platform to to interact with? Absolutely. But everything else, you know, it's it's all right. I'll say that. Would you say it's worth $60? I would say it's well, you know what it is? The season pass for it to get the four DLC characters plus some other stuff and costumes is 15. So if you factor that in, the game is going to run you $75. I'd 
I would rather wait to catch the game on sale and then buy the season pass with it. So if it's on sale for 45 bucks and you spend and you spend 15 on the season pass, then you break even cuz at least it's 60 at that point. Who's the um who's the publisher of Injustice? Nether Realms, the guys that did Mortal Kombat. Okay. So basically it's going to wind up being just like EA. They're going to fuck us. Make people pay $75 for it. And a couple of months from now, it'll be forty nine ninety nine, And I'll have all the stuff that you pay 75 bucks for. Well, Capcom did the same thing. It's, yeah, but I'm just saying it's, it's going to be um, Need for Speed Most Wanted all over again. Right. Or it's going to be Mortal Kombat with all the DLC on it, including Freddy Krueger. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They released that for thirty nine ninety nine. That is true. That it's Mortal a- Kombat Ultimate Edition. That's right. But I got I I've been saving this Which, bit. Of- Go ahead. I was gonna say I'd much rather pay forty bucks for everything and wait a little while instead of paying seventy five bucks and then you know I'm getting shafted. That is very true. I mean. Like, I want to play as Lobo, and I'm a little torn if I want to get the DLC or not, but odds are, I want to, if I can find out who the other characters are going to be, maybe I'll wait, but we'll see. I mean, right now, I'm kind of getting acquainted with all the characters, and there's certain characters I really like playing as, like Deathstroke is badass. Um, I usually play, as, as, as funny as it is, I use Wonder Woman the most. Her moveset is very, very balanced, and Batman is too, and... Um, I'm starting to get really, really decent with Green Arrow, who was pretty cool, and Black Adam. Lex Luthor looks like a set. Oh, yeah, Lex Luthor in the suit is, is badass. I mean, definitely a little clunky, but he does play similar to the Sentinel, that's for sure. Unfortunately, in those switching uh, tombos, we will not get any YouTube videos like Marvel vs. Capcom 2. No, I mean there there's videos out there of people doing combos and stuff, but it's not it's not to the point of insanity. There's certain characters that people have kind of figured out their glitches and their quips. Uh one of those characters being Shazam and dudes are just putting on full clinics with that character. I'm like, "Oh my god, I don't really like the way he plays in the game, but it seems that people that are getting better with him can put some serious combo work together." Well, there's always people who sit there and uh, read the frame data and all that stuff, and they just get insanely good with with any fighting game. No, I agree. I mean, you know, th- th- my review will probably be up this weekend once I capture the video for it. I'm waiting for the new video card to render the videos out. But um, you know, th- people are going to be surprised at my at my scoring on it because it's you know it's it's pretty fair, I think. That's all we ask, man. Well, while I got you on here, this was something I really... There, there, These last two bits of news were things I really was hoping you would call in because I wanted to discuss them with you. Nintendo put out a press release acknowledging some new titles coming out. Uh, first up is they're putting out a new game for the Legend of Zelda series. Um, you know, they're, they're going to set the game in the game uh, A Link to the Past. So that game is going to take place in that universe of Zelda. It's going to make use of the 3D abilities of the 3DS which is going to allow Link to become a drawing and move along walls. What do you think? So, they're going to make a game in the world of the Link to the Past. Right. And 
They're going to make him move along the world. So basically, it's going to be a, a legend, the Legend of Zelda 2. Kind of, sort of. And we'll see how it turns out. Well, the videos, um, they put 3D video for the game on the Nintendo eShop. So you should take a look at it since you got the 3DS. I'm sure you could write something up or or share some thoughts on it. That's why I wanted to talk about it with you because I figured you would appreciate that. I will definitely check that out after the show. They're also looking to do a sequel for Yoshi's Island, which, I mean, I've always had a love-hate relationship with that game, but it plans to make full use of, you know, all the features that the 3DS has. Um, There's no launch timing for that game yet, but the Zelda game is rumored to be launching this holiday season. Also, they're going to be bringing Earthbound to the Wii U Virtual Console. I don't know why they don't just make like an updated version of that game. Of what, Earthbound? Yeah, I mean, they keep bringing the character back in games, but, I mean, bringing his game back, don't just bring him back. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think, um, you know, doing, doing another Yoshi game and doing another Link to the Past... It's it's what we've talked about with Nintendo. When they run out of ideas, they always go back to the old faithfuls, and that's fine. But you know that's going to lose its edge very, very quickly. And it's funny because somebody put out an article that said that the biggest competition for the Wii U isn't the 360 or the PS3. It's the 3DS. Yeah, basically. Ah, so I you mean, agree. This, this Sunday, you have a 3DS version of the biggest Wii U game this year so far, which is Lego City Undercover. And it's going to be Lego City Undercover. It's just going to be a prequel to the Wii U game. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Nintendo, people are saying that this Wii U, the numbers just just have not been up to, to snuff. I think partially it's because you're dealing with the, the sticker shock of, of the system and only being able to use the two tablets and once again what we talked about not enough solid games that you can buy like if i were to buy a wii u today i'd buy lego city undercover and that new mario game and maybe zombie u just to try it out i hear you i mean there's really not a lot coming out when i saw the the um announcement on um when i when i watched the stream when they announced it last year they just promise so much more, and it's just not coming through. I just, I just don't feel they're delivering on all cylinders the way they wanted to. You know, they had showed We Fit You, which I'm definitely thinking would have fared well, and it didn't. Then I'm also looking at, you know, just just the fact that certain things haven't hit the way that they should have, and you know, the the PS4 will be here before you know it. And at that point, the Wii U is going to be competing against not only the PS3 or the and the 360, but also the PS4 and against itself in the 3DS. I don't know, man. Well, the last bit of gaming news I had, and I know that Waffles wanted to call in, um, is that GameIndustry.biz is reporting that Gears of War Judgment, which I'm also reviewing, and God of War Ascension, which I'm also reviewing, um, have not performed up to snuff gears of war judgment has only sold 425,000 units in north america since it came out in march god of war ascension is sold 360,000 units mind you in comparison gears of war 3 
sold 2.2 million units in September, and God of War 3 sold 1.1 million units during its first month of sales. What do you think? I'm shocked because people seem really, really pumped for both games. I've heard people going crazy for both games. But, I mean, now that you say that, it's not surprising because, like I told you earlier today, if anybody is a... um, Best Buy Reward Zone member, and they haven't picked up God of War, and they're looking to, you can get a coupon from the you know, the Reward Zone website and get 20 bucks off the game. Yeah, I ended up buying it part and of I the... Uh, through April 27th. I ended up buying that game as buy, the, as buy two, get one free. So, you know, I don't feel too bad. Oh, no, definitely not. I mean... I'm just saying for anybody who hasn't picked it up yet. Yeah, did you pick it up? Like, I was going to get it at that time, but the buy two, get one free just didn't work for me at the time. Gotcha. Oh, what can you do? That actually wraps up uh, the games for this week. There's anything else you want to you wanna add? No, I'm good for now, man. Yeah, Waffles tried to call in. He was saying that the BTR audio, since they're really experiencing a ton of shit, um... You know, it's not working, but I'm sure Waffles will call in next week, if anything, once we get it squared away. I think maybe next week I'll uh, I'll find a way to accept, like, Skype calls or something through the Mixler channel if, if Blog Talk Radio has problems next week. All right, man. All right, dude. Peace. Peace. Just a quick reminder for those of you that are listening to the show via Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio is experiencing a ton of issues this evening. It was on their front page when I logged into the show. And um, again, I recommend you guys use the Mixler feed, mixler.com forward slash my take radio, and you can listen to the live show that way. Uh, Taking live calls, though, on the Mixler side is going to be a little difficult just because I'd have to take the calls through Skype, but I'll figure out something until then. You know, we're just going to go through the live show for this evening. Anyway, Slick just left and we wrapped up the gaming segment, so we're going to go right into this week's entertainment news let's get right into it so of course you know everybody's chomping at the bit with you know, Hunger Games and also, um, you know, the the Twilight Saga just ended. But another story seems to be making its way to theaters. That's the Mortal Instruments series. Uh, they got one movie coming out, the Mortal Instruments City of Bones, which I got to put the trailer up. But it seems that with the movie not even in theaters yet, they're already working on a prequel series called The Infernal Devices. So... Four months before the film hits theaters, they're already proceeding to start working on a prequel to the series. The Mortal Instruments City of Bones, I'm going to have the trailer up for that this weekend. I'm a little behind on the trailer front, but, you know, it's it, it bugs me out that they would really, um, they're really going to go and do Infernal Devices and do a prequel series without even gauging the success of the Mortal Instruments City of Bones. But, like I said, I'll let you guys check out that trailer when I post it, and you guys can share it, uh, you know, share your thoughts on the fan page and let me know what you guys think. 
In some small screen news, the Veronica Mars movie, based on the TV show, has broke a ton of Kickstarter records. Um, it ended at, it ended at five point seven million dollars. That's almost three times more than the two million dollar goal that creator Rob Thomas had set for the project. The film has broken several records on Kickstarter, including most backers, um, also fastest to one million and fastest to two million, and also most money raised. Uh, my fiance Andrea actually is a huge Veronica Mars fan, and she actually contributed to the Kickstarter. And honestly, the Kickstarter, like anything else, it's a labor of love. And I think um, when it comes to that, you know, the the Kickstarter stuff, it, it's always hit and miss. I mean, there's so many great shows, so many great movies and stuff that could probably get funded through Kickstarter. And honestly, it should put Hollywood on notice because everybody's wanted to see a Veronica Mars movie to close out the show and really give a give a great send-off to the cast. And it just never was done. And now, with Kickstarter, you manage to not only secure backing for the film without Hollywood, but, you know, you're going to get the entire cast back and you're going to make it work. So, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see you know what this does for other films and TV shows that people really have a passion for. A lot of people would like to see Serenity and things like that get their, their Kickstarter send off, but who knows? I think it's just going to take a bunch of passionate individuals to see it through, and who knows? It may happen. Anyway, let's talk box office totals. Of course, it should come as no shock that 42 was number one this week, $27.3 million. Scary Movie 5 was number two this week at $15.2 million, which it's it just it's so sad, so, so sad that Scary Movie 5 was number two at the box office. Yeah, pretty much. That's 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 pretty much what 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 encompasses that. The Croods was number three. G.I. Joe Retaliation was number four. Evil Dead was number five. You can catch the review for Evil Dead on MyTakeRadio.com. Same thing with our review of G.I. Joe Retaliation, which was number four. Jurassic Park 3D took the number six slot. Olympus has fallen. We have a review for that also on MyTakeRadio.com was number seven. Oz the Great and Powerful was number eight. Temptation Confessions of a Marriage Counselor was number nine. And The Place Beyond the Pines was number ten. Yes, Dark Helmet, Scary Movie 5 is... The fifth movie in the series. I kid you not. $15 million. That means that there were people out there willing to pay legit money to go and see that movie in theaters. I'm just saying. It's it's horrifying. It is completely horrifying. Anyway. So we all know that Michael Bay is looking to bring his vision of the Ninja Turtles to the silver screen. And there's been some casting already done. Um, Megan Fox as April O'Neil. They're saying Alan Richson from Blue Mountain State is going to be playing one of the Turtles. Jeremy Howard, Pete Plozek, and Noel Fisher are going to be playing the Turtles. Also, Will Arnett is going to be in the film as well. Um, The film opens June 6, 2014. Deadline is reporting that Danny Woodburn from Seinfeld and Watchmen will be playing Master Splinter. For those of you that aren't familiar with the Turtles, Master Splinter is the mentor of the Turtles in the original comics and the live-action movies. He was a a former rat of a ninja who mutated along with the turtles. In the 1987 and 2012 cartoons, he was a ninja that mutated and became a rat. So, 
to take that for what it's worth, but Danny Woodburn is the guy that will be playing Master Splinter in Michael Bay's vision of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, Danny Woodburn isn't a a terrible actor, and it, it, it's going to be interesting, but I just, I just feel that this film is just destined for disaster. It really, really is, but who knows? We still got until June 6, 2014 for, um, you know, figure that out. I got to acknowledge Slick. Slick said, those of you not familiar with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, get the fuck out. Hey, I got to account for that, Slick. You know what's funny? And I'm just going to kind of go a little bit off off tangent here. We were looking, I was looking at the M, at the MTR stats from our downloads from iTunes and we have audience members not only in China, the Philippines, Japan, Alaska, but also in Russia and a ton of other places. So it, it would come as no shock if somebody actually said to me that they don't know who or what the Ninja Turtles are. I'm gonna I'm gonna trip you guys out for a second. I'm gonna pull up some of the, the countries that listen to my take radio, which by the way, is broadcast in English. I'm just saying. So with that said, I want to just share this with you so you guys can have a quick laugh. And it's true. Slick Slick is right. But here's the crazy thing. MTR is listened to not only in the U.S., but also in the U.K., Germany, China, Canada, Japan, Australia, Puerto Rico, Slovenia, Saudi Arabia, Russia, Korea. I don't understand who in Korea is listening to it. Kim Jong-un, don't blow us up, please. Poland, Sweden, Argentina, Hong Kong, Mexico, and Spain. Also included, we got our listeners in Ireland, France, Italy, the Netherlands, Israel, Turkey, the Ukraine, Chile, Portugal, India, Norway, Thailand, Switzerland, Colombia, Greece, Iran is actually is actually represented, Indonesia, Romania, Taiwan, Malaysia, Ghana, maybe Kofi Kingston's parents are listening in, Denmark, Belgium, Myanmar, Cambodia, the Bahamas, Hungary, Finland, Egypt, Algeria, New Zealand, Latvia, Belarus, South Africa, Croatia, wow, just fucked that up, Croatia, Singapore, Ecuador, and Morocco, yeah, so, um, (laughs) there you have it, so, you know, it's funny Slick says, you know, if you don't know who the Ninja Turtles are, but let, let's be, let's be real, dude, I want to know if somebody in, like, Belgium knows who the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are, or maybe a listener in Finland or Algeria, perhaps uh, perhaps New Zealand. Anyway, those of you that are international listeners and know about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, do, do me a favor, because I'm curious. Email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com, and even if you got to email me in your native language and i got to use Google Translate, let me know what the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are called in your country. I'm curious because in every country they're called something different or the show may be called something different. I'm curious. Send me send me an email, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or even answer on our Facebook fan page and let me know what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is called in your native homelands. I ask this of all our international listeners because I am, I am curious. I am curious. 
Yes, Slick says that Google Translate does suck. It does, but in a pinch, you know, I'm curious to see what somebody in Cambodia has to say about the show. So there you have it, guys. That's that's the global appeal of, of MTR. We reach all these countries, strange as it may be. Anyway, switching gears and going into some comic news, uh, TV Guide is reporting that they got a voice cast together for the next DC animated film, which is Justice League The Flashpoint Paradox. Based on the Flashpoint comic book series from 2011, it will be released on DVD and Blu-ray July 30th, and it will also be available on demand and digital download. As of right now, here's some of the voice actors you'll be hearing. Justin Chambers will be voicing The Flash. Um, Also, Kevin McKidd will be playing Batman. Michael B. Jordan as Cyborg. C. Thomas Howell as Professor Zoom. Carrie Elways as Aquaman, Vanessa Marshall as Wonder Woman, Sam Daly as Superman, Ron Perlman is voicing Slade. That's going to be pretty badass. Danny Houston as General Lane, and of course Kevin Conroy, Dana Dana Delaney, and Nathan Fillion will be reprising their roles of Batman, Lois Lane, and Green Lantern. Kevin McKidd will be doing a voice of an alternate universe Batman. So, just so you guys don't get confused, Kevin McKidd is doing one voice for Batman. And Kevin Conroy is doing a voice for the Batman we all know. So there you have it. The next DC animated feature, The Flashpoint Paradox, in stores July 30th. In some Marvel movie casting news, everyone's favorite redneck Merle, Michael Rooker, will be joining the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy. He will be playing the role of Yondu, who was one of the original Guardians uh, that you can see in the comics. Of course, this works out because Rooker is a friend of director James Gunn. So, um, you know, it shouldn't come as a surprise that he's being cast in the movie. And it's crazy to see the inclusion of Yondu. Um, Yondu in the comics was part of the first team called Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, you know, the group from an alternate reality is from the 31st century. And, of course, that particular group, the membership consisted of different creatures who were the last of their race. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Yondu's character ties in to the Guardians of the Galaxy we know with Gar- with Rocket Raccoon and Gamora and those guys so should be interesting to see I'm curious how Michael Rooker is going to play that character because if you look up Yondu in um, you know Google or Wikipedia you'll see what he looks like and it's either going to require a lot of effects in terms of makeup for Michael Rooker or maybe it will be a, a CGI character and Rooker will provide the voice either way Michael Rooker is now part of the Guardians of the Galaxy cast. So, we all know Fast 6 is coming out next month, and they're already hard at work at Fast 7. So at CinemaCon, they actually said that Fast and Furious 7 will be released July 11th, 2014. But, there's already a problem with that for a couple of reasons. Releasing it in 2014, it's going to be a week after the release of Angelina Jolie's Maleficent, and a week before X-Men Days of the Future Pass. James Wan will be directing it who did the Saw movies, but the crazy thing is that The Rock may not be able to appear in the seventh film because he will be filming Hercules. He said the following, and this was reported on Collider. It's not possible for me because I'm shooting Hercules this summer, starting six weeks in Budapest. So possible for them, I'm not too sure. I haven't heard anything about that, and I'm pretty sure that I would have gotten a phone call pretty early in the morning if that was a real plan. You know, so there's also, of course, plans of the Hobbs spinoff. So maybe he won't be written into Fast and Furious 7, and they'll just flip him 
into the Hobbs spinoff. But if the filming is going to go according to plan, we may not be seeing The Rock in Fast 7. So, yeah, there you go. Now, here's some casting news that shouldn't be a, a shocker because of what I've said in previous broadcasts. I've said that if you play Marvel vs. Capcom, every character in that game on the Marvel side is represented in a movie or in an upcoming movie. Think about it. You got Ghost Rider. We had the new Ghost Rider movie that came out right around the time the game came out. You got all the Avengers in there, including Hawkeye. So take that into consideration. So right now, one of the movies that they're looking to do in stage three of the Marvel films is Doctor Strange. So according to Chud, they're saying that they're looking at Justin Thoreau, who did Lost Highway and Wanderlust, to play Doctor Strange. Couple of things. Obviously, a Doctor Strange movie, it would, it would, you know, it's to be expected, like I said, because he's in the game. But do we really care about Doctor Strange enough to spend $13 in the box office to watch a movie about him and Dormammu and the rest of those guys? I'm not 100% sure because, you know, it's. It's weird, like, like doing these Marvel films is strange because you have characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously it's a first time project being brought to the silver screen, and it ties into the whole Thanos thing and all that stuff, so it's part of a bigger scope, but with a character like Doctor Strange, it leads me to believe, and as much as they disputed this, I want you guys to think about it, a couple of episodes back I said that maybe the phase three of the Marvel movies was going to lead into them doing World War Hulk. With the Hulk. Look at all the players that were involved with the Illuminati in World War Hulk. Iron Man. Doctor Strange. We might see Black Bolt in Guardians of the Galaxy. You'd never know. And Professor X. Now Professor X, obviously the X-Men are owned by Fox. But that doesn't mean that some money can't exchange hands. The same way that they wanted Oscorp to appear in the Avengers. And it just didn't work out for them to do it. So think about that. Doctor Strange, Iron Man, we may see Black Bolt, and, you know, there's an X-Men movie coming out. I really do have a feeling that they're going to touch on that aspect of, of the Marvel Universe because there's so much going on with the Marvel Universe in terms of all their characters that you can make that movie actually happen. Where maybe you end of Avengers 2 with the Hulk just being too dangerous and being sent into space. And that can start phase three. You know? Ah, thank you for mentioning Namor, Slick. But, you know, the, the Submariner is a fucking jerk-off. But it is true, Namor, Namor does play a role. And you never know, we might, we might see him as well. Because we do got that rebooted Fantastic Four coming out also. See what I'm saying? There's, there's definitely a, a, a precedent and a foundation there for them to do something with uh, World War Hulk. I like um, what Waffle said. Secret Invasion would be cool, but that's a little bit too inside. You got to go with stuff that's more mainstream and not for nothing. Nothing would make people happier than watching the the Hulk unscrew Iron Man's head off his body. It, w- it would make people. Ha- it would make you know. It, w- it would make sense. And and you know, Slick is right. Slick mentions you know you got to give char- you got to have characters that'll give the Hulk a fight. It is true. 
But again, with going into stage three and a Doctor Strange film, it, it really does, as much as they've denied that, it really does kind of point in that direction. It's going to be very interesting to see where they go with that. You know, obviously, Doctor Strange would be released sometime after Avengers 2, and Avengers 2 won't be in theaters till 2015. Ooh, excuse me. I guess the uh, nasal strip is starting to wander, to starting to wear off, so I apologize for that uh, sniffle that you guys may have heard on air. Anyway, here's, here's some what-the-fuck movie news. Zap to it is reporting that Kristen Stewart has officially signed on for a sequel to Snow White and the Huntsman. Why? I don't know. I watched the first Snow White and the Huntsman expecting to be wowed by some sort of a dark telling of the Snow White story. And it was actually very, very underwhelming. You know, there, it, it, it was, it, it, the effects were good, but the movie was just underwhelming, to say the least. Obviously, uh, Rupert Sanders, who got to smell Kristen Stewart's boobs and get a divorce, would not be directing the next film. But originally, they were saying that the second film would be a prequel focusing on Chris Hemsworth on Chris Hemsworth character. Blah. Excuse me, on Chris Hemsworth's character. Neither Hemsworth nor Charlize Theron have been confirmed to be involved in the sequel at all. So, you know, for Stuart to do it, clearly she wants a payday. Obviously, in my opinion, this movie didn't deserve a sequel whatsoever. On the contrary, it was it was average at best. A lot of people felt that it was it was all this this awesome and amazing cinematography and special effects. It really wasn't that good. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that good. I thought I was going to be, you know, more, more impressed by it, but I wasn't partially because I went in there with the, with the preconceived notion that Kristen Stewart is a emotionless fucking shrew, but also because, you know, we had two Snow White movies come out at the same time. And like I said, one was bound to tank. That would be the one with Julia Roberts, but still. It really doesn't merit a sequel in the least. So, switching gears into some small screen news, it seems that Stars is going to do a second season of Demi- of Da Vinci's Demons, even though only one episode is debuted thus far. The second episode will only be on TV tomorrow, and I haven't. I've watched some of it, and it's okay at best. It's crazy. the sh- The show's premiere had 2.1 million viewers. That's the highest rated premiere ever for a Star's original series. Production for the second season begins in Wales in May, with that season premiering next year. So just because your show did 2.1 million viewers in the first airing, it deserves a second season? Seriously? For for a show that's that's mostly that's mostly Assassin's Creed with, with tits? Seriously, if you watch Da Vinci's Demons, there's there's definitely some nudity in there. There's there's plenty of it. That's re- it really feels like that in some respects, but you know, I don't mind that Stars wants to do original programming, but I just feel that it's a shot in the dark doing a, a second season on a show based on one episode's feedback. It it just it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. So we have some what the fuck small screen news and that involves heroes a lot of you remember heroes superhero show on nbc 
you know, save the cheerleader, save the world, blah, 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 Hayden Planetarium, all this bullshit. Well, it seems that they're trying to bring Heroes back as original programming for Xbox. TV Line reports that MSN is looking to push into original programming via its Xbox gaming console and is in talks to revive the superhero drama. Sources confirm that there are preliminary talks for the show to kick off with new stories and heroes while the original series cast would appear in cameos. If you guys remember, Heroes ran for four seasons and was canceled in 2010. I think going with a smaller budget and doing something like the same way Netflix is doing with some of their programming, I gotta admit, Netflix's Hemlock Grove, which actually debuts this Friday, is on my radar as a show worth seeing. Um, House of Cards has been really good on Netflix, so who knows? I mean, you want to go into 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 Xbox exclusive programming? Maybe Heroes will work, but I don't know. I think for a show that got canceled in 2010 for you to try and see if Lightning will strike twice, definitely a smaller scale budget is in order, and I just think that the name has lost its luster in my opinion, but who knows? We'll see. It's all preliminary talks now, but those are the what-the-fuck small-screen news for this segment. Here, Here's a kicker. DreamWorks wants to do a sequel to The Croods, a movie that just came out. It's made $386 million worldwide, I understand, $144 million domestically, but and $242 million overseas. But seriously... You made a movie about a caveman family. You made some money. Does every fucking animated film require a sequel? Does it? Does it require a sequel? It really does not. I understand that you want to do a a cash grab, but nothing is more blatant than unnecessary sequels to movies that are just as good on their own. But what can you do? This is Hollywood, folks. Speaking of sequels... Sony Pictures announced that their 21 Jump Street sequel will be released next year. So Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum will reprise their roles and we should be seeing it at some point later in 2014. So the next bit of movie news definitely is in the what the fuck movie news category. And I'm sure it will ruffle the feathers of not only Slick but probably Waffles, Dark Helmet, and the rest of our listeners, especially those of us that are 80s babies. Check this out. According to Deadline, Universal Pictures is going to do a remake of Weird Science. Joel Silver, who made the original, will produce the film. Michael Bacall, who did Project X and 21 Jump Street, will write the script. Of course, the remake of Weird Science will be an edgier, R-rated comedy similar to 21 Jump Street and The Hangover. So, if you don't remember Weird Science, it starred Anthony Michael Hall and Ian Mitchell Smith, who were nerds that attempted to create the perfect woman to fulfill their heavy-breathing fantasies. So, well, the 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 synopsis was the heavy their heavy-breathing adolescent fantasies. At the time, the perfect woman was Kelly LeBrock. So, yeah. I tell you what. You want to do a, a, a Weird Science remake, you got to have um, Kate Upton needs to be your perfect woman and your nerds need to be McLovin and the kid that plays Kick-Ass. There you go. McLovin, Kick-Ass, and Kate Upton. Kate Upton needs to be your perfect woman. You don't know who Kate Upton is? Google is your friend. By all means, gentlemen... 
please keep it in your pants after looking at her photos. Anyway, there's no necessity for a Weird Science remake. No necessity whatsoever. There was no necessity for a 21 Jump Street remake. There was definitely no necessity for, you know, a 21 Jump Street sequel. So, yeah, we're going to get a Weird Science remake, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, similar to 21 Jump Street and The Hangover. So there you go. Those are your what the fuck movie news. As, uh, oh shit. Correction. Instead of Kickass, Michael Sarah. Yes, Michael Sarah and McLovin would be tremendous. Definitely. To answer your question, Dark Helmet, for the big brother, I would go with Alan Richson from Blue Mountain State, who's supposed to be in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He would work. If not, good old Stifler. Good old Stifler works as well. I would go with good old Stifler as the uh, the douchey brother because he plays a douche with uh, zero problems whatsoever. Anyway, to wrap things up, we're going to close things out with some small screen news. The upcoming eighth season of Dexter will be the show's last season. So there you have it, Dexter fans. The show premieres on June 30th, and this will be its final season. So for those of you that are Dexter fans, you can bid him farewell this summer. All right. So um, that actually wraps up the show for this week. Um, I'd like to thank those of you that tuned in on the Blog Talk Radio side, in, including all the issues that they had, and um, hopefully that will all be resolved next week. But like I said, and I'll continue to remind you guys, If you want to listen to the show outside of Blog Talk Radio, you can use our Mixler feed, mixlr.com forward slash mytakeradio, and you'll be able to listen to the show in 128K stereo. And as always, our our archives are available within 24 hours on iTunes, uh, Libsyn, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and all those other beautiful places where you get My Take Radio from. So there you have it. All right, time to wrap things up. On behalf of myself, Slick, and the rest of the MTR team, thank you for listening. And um, as always, if you want to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, email me mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Twitter at mytakeradio. Become a fan on Facebook. Add us to your circle on Google+. And of course, to get the best My Take Radio experience, make sure to pick up our MTR app available on Android and iOS devices. For Android, you'd head head over to the Amazon Marketplace. And for iOS devices, good old iTunes. It's $1.99. It's cheaper than a burger, cheaper than a cup of Starbucks. So get on it. You'll get access to high-quality episodes of MTR in 96K stereo. You'll also get access to original content, including MTR Beyond the Mic, MTR Behind the Mic, The Minority Film Report, mobile wallpapers, and a ton of other stuff as well. Like I said, on behalf of the team, I will catch you guys next week. Thanks for dealing with the Blog Talk Radio problems. And like I said, you can always listen live via Mixler. I'm out of here. Peace. I'm thinking this week we got to give a shout out to the crew at the Maniac Agenda and their theme, their song, The Awakening from Halo, will be taking us out.